Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap-Up for October 2014. My name is Sean, but you know me better as GreyGhost81. We have a wonderfully spooky show in store for you, so stay tuned for some exciting discussion concerning two creepy classics. On the modern side, I will be joined by Floyd and returning special guest Disposed Hero to discuss Remedy Entertainment's cult classic Alan Wake, which is available on Xbox 360 and Windows. Over on the retro side, Rich, Jamie, and I will explore another haunting cult classic which many consider to be one of the finest games on the Sony PlayStation, and that is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. As always, you can listen to the show on Podomatic, iTunes, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And hey, while you're at it, why not come over to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss all the wonderful games we play. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the show. Alright, so for the retro playthrough in October, we played the very popular title, uh, somewhat of a cult classic, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, it was originally released on the PlayStation uh, in Japan in March of 1997 and in the U.S. in October of the same year. Uh, it was developed by Konami and um, it was also released on the Sega Saturn in 1998. In Japan only, of course, which is kind of sad. I wish we would have had that version. Um, but in the Sega Saturn version, you can play as Maria um, as well as Richter. Of course, you can play as um, Richter in the PlayStation version as well, but uh, I think you have to go through the game first. Is that correct, guys? Yep. I didn't get a chance to try that, so I'm not sure, but that sounds Yeah, you got to beat, beat the game and then put your name in as Richter in the in uh, new save. Right, right. So... Castlevania, just a little bit of a history on it. It was uh, Symphony of the Night was the follow-up to Rondo of Blood, uh, which, unfortunately, as we know, was not released in the U.S. Um, it's actually a pretty fun game. I actually got a chance to play it a few weeks ago. Uh, my buddy Cameron uh, brought over his um, Turbo Duo and uh, got to play some of it, so it's a really cool game. But um, you can you can also... I think you can play Rondo. It's... Uh, um, Castlevania Dracula X Chronicles, is that correct? On PSP? Yeah, on the PS. And didn't we get that gimped uh, SNES version? Isn't that what Dracula X is? It is. Oh, um, oh, okay. there are f yeah, there are a few levels missing with Rondo. Um, from what I understand, you can. It, it's sort of like, um, if you think of it as like Castlevania 3, where you can go like different routes. Okay. Um, to, to pick up different characters and stuff like that. Well, with Rondo, there's you know four or five different routes, and um, with the Dracula X, kind of the GIMP version we got, it didn't have that, and I think it was missing some other features too, which um, you know, uh, for fear of being wrong, I will not comment on right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but um, Symphony of the Night, uh, just a little brief description. It's an action RPG. And um, the cool thing about this is it sort of completely changed the Castlevania series. Kind of gave it a um, kind of a more free-flowing feel. Um, 
I know that Simon's Quest had a bit of a exploring the map type of feature, uh, but this one's just kind of free-flowing. It's not kind of a level-per-level level progression like the old Castlevania games were. Um, more kind of open design is, is what they kind of call it. And for that reason, yeah, Metroidvania is, is sort of the, uh, the name, the beloved name given to it. And, uh, I guess just a little other history, uh, oddly enough, uh, Bill's going to appreciate this, but this game was originally intended for the 32X. Can you imagine that? No way. I didn't even know that. That's horrible. (laughs) Why would they do this? (laughs) I can tell you, I can tell you something now. If if this game were uh, on the 32x, there would be a lot more people owning 32x's. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. For the setting of, of Cynthia of the Night, basically uh, Rondo of Blood, uh, Richter goes and fights Dracula, and then um, destroys Dracula, who has been um, and, and Rondo. He he's sort of brought from the grave, and uh, Richter has to go destroy him. And this story uh, for Symphony of the Night continues basically four years after Rondo of Blood. And, um, you know, just, I guess, you know, basic premise of the story, we could kind of talk about what's going on, you know, from the beginning. If you guys want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. So um, having not played any other Castlevania games, uh, you were saying this one comes after Rondo of Blood. And so that little introduction sequence with the Dracula fight there, is that Mm -hmm. uh, taken from the end of Rondo of Blood? Yes, it's supposed to be taken from the end of Rondo of Blood, but um, in all actuality, it's it's almost the same fight that you get at the end of um, the first Castlevania game, oh, okay. um, the original. Um, that that's the ending as well. You fight Dracula, who opens up the cape. You jump over the fireballs, hit him in the head with the whip, and then he turns into the um, sort of the uh, that monster that kind of sort of half bat, half man, Goliath that kind of jumps around. Um, mm. So. Um, I, I think both games sort of have a similar ending from what I understand. Real references to the old series. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that um, that I've got uh, marked down for us to talk about a little bit later. There's This this game is just chock full of uh, Castlevania history, and it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty neat. Yeah, I was going to say, more than a callback, it's kind of like honoring <laughs> the traditions of, you know, w- what is part of all the games. You right. Know, like that, that Dracula. It's almost like the the tree boss in the Kirby games and every Kirby game, the first level boss is that tree that, mm-hmm. you know, spits at mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you see that a lot through the Castlevania series, uh, you know, similar enemies, um, you know, similar boss battles that, that kind of pop up here and there over and over again. And it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's always good to see new things, but also, you know, it's sort of refreshing to, you know, that they, they keep that sort of history alive and, and keep it going. It's cool to see like the axe knight in every single game and all the different yeah. versions of them, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's 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 comforting too, right? It's, right. You know, you know, and it's uh, it's just something that makes you sort of feel at home every time you're playing the game, which is, which is always nice. So, in Castlevania Symphony of the Night, you play as Alucard, who is um, half vampire, half human, son of Dracula. And uh, you, you get a lot of backstory in this game, which is really nice. Uh, Alucard pops up for the first time in Castlevania III as a uh, playable character uh, that you can find if you take a certain path. That's where he kind of first started out, and then he becomes the main character in this game, which I thought was was pretty cool. I mean, you're, you're kind of stepping away from Castlevania tradition here. And to me, that's a big thing. Because usually you're playing as uh, one of the Belmonts, right? 
Right, right. Um, of course, in Castlevania Three, you know, you could um, you could play as other characters that you would find along the way. But this one was um, pretty much the first game that sort of centrally focused on um, an, another um, another character. Uh, you know, you're kind of going away from the the, va- the traditional vampire hunter with the whip, hmm. and uh, you know, you're you're actually controlling a, uh, a half human, half vampire character, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, in terms of the uh, story and like his motivations, uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, just not really knowing the game that well, I was a little confused why he was mm-hmm. against his father until the very end, uh, mm-hmm. where you kind of hear his explanation from the last words of his mother, but mm-hmm. up to that point, it uh, didn't seem very clear to me uh, why he was against his father, uh, unless he just happened to have a random good streak that his father didn't have. Yeah, yeah, because he's obviously older than a teenager, so he doesn't really <laughs> yeah. have any reason to, you know, hate his father. But we we kind of get that uh, it somewhat before the midpoint of the game um, with the succubus battle, um, and we can talk about that now if you guys want to. That's fine. That was the uh, nightmare sequence. Yes. Yeah, that was really cool. I like that. Yeah. That was a good yeah. cutscene, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was cool how the save point was like a different color. It was sort of like a, like a foreshadowing, forewarning, you know, like. Uh, you know, maybe I don't want to go here right now. You Absolutely, know? yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> said, all right, let me find the nearest real save room before I do yeah. whatever this thing is. I was worried. I think that there was going to be some trick that you like. You try to use it and it just poisons you or something because it's yeah. all purple. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, the, so the story continues, and before you fight the succubus, you go into like a nightmare sequence where the succubus has transformed into your mother. And uh, is basically lying to you. Basically, she and and you kind of find out in the end she was human, and she was kind of burned at the stakes. Um, and um, you know, for her, I guess for her relationship with Dracula, Alucard's father, and uh, she had told Alucard, you know, please don't hate humans for this. This is you know, sort of this is sort of just a one incident type of thing, mm. and you know, don't don't go through life hating humans. And but of course, you know. Um, we we get that compassionate character of Dracula who has lost a wife and uh, you know that's that's a sort of a side of Dracula we we don't see a, a whole lot of um, in the Castlevania series uh, so I, I uh, thought that was pretty extraordinary yeah and just back up real quick and sure. the cool thing about the succubus nightmare scene is that as uh, when the succubus is you know posing as Alucard's mother. She says, you know, kill everybody. Humans yeah. are the scum of the earth and you have to take them out kind of thing. So that was right. pretty funny. And then uh, actually you get this boss battle, which is uh, halfway decent, not not too tough. And no. uh, it was cool with a cool little cutscene. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the boss battles, and I know we'll, we'll kind of tackle a little bit of that later, but I think some of the boss battles, just while we touched on it, are um, they're a little... Some of them are a lot easier than others, and I think they're just sort of there to be sort of, you know, checking in, you know, and battling bosses. It's almost like some of them are sort of mini-boss battles in a sense, as opposed to, you know, um, Mm -hmm. tougher tougher battles. Especially when some of them have characters that you end up fighting as just random mobs later on. Yeah, yeah. So, so throughout the game, we run into a few other characters. We run into Richter, who is, um, of course, the hero of Rondo of Blood, uh, and Maria, who also shows up in Rondo of Blood. Um, and if you guys didn't know this, um, as you're playing through the game as Richter, um, if you go through a certain path, um, you can actually um, 
one of the points of the game is by going the different path, you're rescuing people as you go on your way to fight Dracula. And Maria is a, I believe, let's see, she's like a, little, a 14-year-old little girl that you can rescue. And after you rescue her, you can actually play as that character in Rondo of Blood. Uh, and instead of a whip, you throw doves. It That's is weird. bizarre. Yeah. I actually Killer played doves. that a few <laughs> weeks ago, and it was bizarre. But it's kind of neat, just a different you know, style to the game. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you can play as her in this if you have the Saturn version, right? But not right. the PlayStation one? That's that's correct. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't show up on the PlayStation version, but uh, you know, it's uh, tempting just to get a Saturn version to be able to uh, yeah, you know, have this game and, and play as Maria. And I think you can even play as Richter from the beginning. I, I I can't you know be sure of that. So someone I'm sure will correct me if I'm wrong. Along with the characters, of course, you know we've got Dracula again. Uh, just I'll mention that. And uh, but along with the characters, maybe we should talk a little about the visuals of the game. Uh, I did a little research on the artist uh, for the game. Ayami Kojima um, was the artist for this game, and this was her uh, first appearance in the video game industry. Um, and talk about a splash, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is a, a very beautiful game. Um, but she was sort of famous for um, this sort of traditional Japanese artistry known as, and I'll probably butcher this, but I'll just put it out there, it's a bishonen, and um, it, literally this term translates to beautiful youth or beautiful bo youth boy, and um, sort of describes um, this sort of um, artistic style or aesthetic uh, in East in East Asia, uh, where a young man's beauty, sexual appeal transcends the boundary of gender and uh, sexual orientation. So, in other words, when you pick up a Castlevania cover these days you get a lot of sort of sex appeal or it, it almost looks a little feminine right when mm. you when you look at the covers and uh that was sort of her art style and and what you really see especially in the main character alia card i didn't know about this term that you uh, uh researched there but uh, i did notice uh, throughout the game that i thought the characters all seemed very flamboyant and just kind of over the top uh look to them with their clothing and even the way they walk and the way uh, Alucard sits on the chairs and everything. Right. Just got that swagger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you can really tell if, you, if you've ever seen the, um, the Japanese cover, um, and I think we had it as our banner, um, uh, Fleech uh, used it as the banner uh, for our playthrough of the month. Yeah, I mean, I think did. It's, it's on that cover, but for, for whatever odd reason, uh, why is it that we always get the most boring covers ever? Yeah, I mean, we just, just have a castle uh, with lightning. I mean, yeah, it's not too bad though. Nah. It, it gets the point across. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I don't know if America, maybe American audience wasn't ready for a, a feminine uh, vampire at the time. So, or maybe they saw uh, uh, Iron Sword Wizards and Warriors too and didn't <laughs> want to pull off that. <laughs> yeah, look, looking back though, other than Simon's Quest, uh, the Castlevania games have had some awesome artwork in North America. We've, mm -hmm. you know. We've gotten some good ones. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Was there anything that just kind of stood out to you guys as far as the visuals in this game, some things that you just really enjoyed about it? The cape, uh, the animation with the cape as you're walking and jumping, uh, the way it moves mm -hmm. in the wind and everything, that was awesome. Yeah. And um, Also how it's color changed uh, when you uh, uh, change capes and then uh, transformed over to the wings of the bat. Yeah. That's really good. 
that was really cool. That's okay. what my daughter, that's my six-year-old daughter liked most about the game because I, I ended up, um, you know, toward the inverted castle, you have so much, uh, you pick up so many of those gems that you can sell to the librarian hmm. that you just, you're just overloaded with money. So, um, of course, I bought Joseph's cloak, um, you know, and she, she was having a lot of fun with telling me what colors to change it into and what color my bat would be, which was <laughs> kind of fun for us, you know, because they enjoy watching me play a lot, so... Yeah, uh, I thought it sounded like a neat idea, but I just didn't feel like spending that much money on something just to change the color. Like it didn't, yeah. It seemed worth it, really, from a practical <laughs> point of view. <laughs> well, there's nothing really else to buy in the game. Yeah, <laughs> <true>. so, <laughs> uh, I think it's cool that... Uh, I, I was going to say about the visuals, the sprite work in general is, you know, just yeah. pretty awesome on, on yeah, Alucard, like the sprite animations, like, you know, the way he walks and the way he turns around and runs yeah. and dashes and all the enemies are really detailed and have really cool animations and movements. And I think it's kind of cool that we've actually played uh, a couple PS1 games in a row from from an era where games were trying to push into 3D and we've, mm-hmm. we've played, uh, you know, the Suicoden 1 and 2 and mm-hmm. now we're playing in Symphony of the Night. Uh, this handful of games that just stand out for kind of sticking with that 2D aesthetic and just nailing it. And mm. if you look back now, you know, Castlevania Symphony of the Night holds up visually you know way better than a lot of games that tried to go 3d at the time absolutely absolutely i mean to me you know i mean it it looks it looks better than a lot of like n64 stuff i mean you know i mean a lot of you know polygonal type stuff i mean yeah definitely definitely crisper um just just beautiful And, and you mentioned the enemies how about the way that like the enemies are like dispatched after you after you take them down after you yeah, kill that's them. That's just awesome. Oh, oh the way gosh. they some of them explode and <laughs> scream and uh, like you that. mentioned on the thread the uh, the bloody zombie that was also one of my oh, favorites. So it, yeah, yeah, it you, screams you, and just its belly cuts open and gushes <laughs> blood. It's freaking awesome. You, you cut it in half and the blood squirts straight up in the air and it's screaming. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh my god, it's awesome. And, and, and like every every. Um, Every enemy's different. I mean, they mm-hmm. again. I mean, it's just one of those games you can tell someone loved this game. They took a lot of time. You know, this this was, you know, this is a labor of love. I mean, to do that for every enemy, just not you know typical Castlevania games. You just kind of hit them. You know, Simon's Quest. You hit them and they turn into a little thing of flame, or you know, they just sort of disappear. You know, and you hear a, a sound. I mean, right. this this was just completely just elaborate and and. You know, just awesome. Oh, and they kind of put it put it over the top, like from the beginning. I, uh, I, you know, this was my first time playing this game, but I, I've tried to start it so many times that I've played that opening sequence with Alucard just smashing those wolves in one shot, and they're all exploding mm-hmm. and everything. And I always thought that was so cool. So <laughs> yeah, it yeah. definitely was awesome to finally get going through the game and see all the other different enemies and how yeah. they. Some of them like collapse in different ways when they're dying, or they like stab their sword into the ground, or their sword yeah. like comes off of them and keeps attacking you. Like some really cool things can happen. Yeah, yeah I was just gonna say I really love uh, the same as you with the over-the-top explosions when you kill something. Like you kill a plant enemy, and there's just like bombs going off. Of her and it seems like <laughs> oh, some yeah. action movie with a, yeah. an awesome guy walking away from an explosion. Yeah, it's yeah. so satisfying. Yeah. Like, what what good feedback to get from killing an enemy? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the only one I think I uh, didn't understand, uh, though I still liked it, was the uh, the ones that uh, they kind of go into a black hole or something near the end of the game, where you kill a few mm. enemies and uh, they suck into oblivion or something. Just sort of avoid, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really strange. Yeah, I still liked it, though. I think, I think it's oh, yeah. a nice touch, yeah, you nice. know. But it, yeah, it, it is a little, you know, odd considering some of the other enemies. Um, one of the, the other things visually that I really liked about this game was uh, the backdrops of this game. You know, just mm-hmm. the scenery in the background. You know, it's it's that type where you're moving and it's, you know, stain, sort of stain, somewhat steel, you know, as you move through it. And there's just, you know, just some beautiful things in the background. Sometimes you'll get like waterfalls. Um, you know, some, you'll get like lava and stuff like that kind of creeping down. And it's, you know, once again, it, it kind of gives it that... Um, it gives it like you like you said. I guess that I guess it would be like what two point five D gives it that that depth. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, there's a lot yeah. of good parallax scrolling, and I guess we we sh- we should mention like the environments in this game. Uh, sure, like it kind of goes hand in hand with that. Like you're in this castle, but I I took a, took note while I was playing that when I was down in the catacombs, I really felt like I was down in some freaking catacombs. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you're so you you. Even though it's a 2D side-scrolling game, you have this feeling that you're in the depths of this castle, like d- way down underground in mm-hmm. actual catacombs. It's crazy. Yeah. Like just the the way the art style works and this the mm-hmm. the psychological effect of okay, you can pull up the map screen and know you're way down below the damn castle. It's it's a really cool effect. Yeah, everything just works uh, much better than you would expect. It's not like these. Uh, separated areas where it's like, uh, all right, this is the desert, this is the ocean area, this is the lava area. It's like, uh, it just felt like everything naturally transitioned into each other. Right, yeah. and there's there's things that would be in a castle, like libraries and yeah. bell towers and, you know, uh, a, not a, a chapel. I was going to say a church, but I guess chapel is a better word, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the chapel, actually, the uh, stained glass windows in the back were really great, like a lot of detail on that. Yeah, they were awesome. Yeah, and and you know the inverse of that being in the bottom of the castle, being the top of the castle was felt the same way. I mean, with the you know the different um, you know sort of towers and things like that, all the empty space, you know, the air, the open space yeah, when that you're outdoors. you know you fly through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that that like you said, that feeling of you know being outdoors and stuff was was just was just really cool. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful game. And and like you said, I mean, you're in the library, you know you're in the library. You know, you're in the catacombs, you know there's the catacombs, Colosseum. I mean, everything. I mean, it just it just felt just felt really really good. I mean, they they just they they did a great job of, you know, mixing up, you know, um scenery mm-hmm. um, you know, with with what you would expect it to be. Yep. So I guess I want to kind of move on and talk a little bit about the weapons and the, um, you know, different types of weapons in the game, the, the sub-weapons, and um, sort of the, the item system that, um, you know, that was available in the game. Um, and I think Sean um, had touched on this a little bit. Uh, I think you had put a, put a, um, a post uh, about something that I felt was very annoying, too, about the, uh, like the healing items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, want, if you want to touch on that, I'll let you. Sure, and that would be that would probably be my only knock on the game is mm-hmm. that the uh, item use system is a little bit clunky. Where if you have a either a two handed weapon or a one handed weapon and a shield, you have to take 
one of one of those things out of one of your hands and if you mm -hmm. want to use a potion for example put the potion in your hand go back into the game use it then go back into your menu and re-equip re your shield mm -hmm. so i mean it, it's one of those things that's like man like th this game would have been like, like people call the game perfect but that's what kind of right. keeps it from being perfect for mm -hmm. me but it's yeah. damn close to it but that that's my like one gripe and it's a minor gripe because you get to a point where you're in the beginning of the game you're leaning on at least i was leaning on healing items a lot but once you learn a couple spells that'll heal or you get items or weapons mm -hmm. that will steal hp or or get it other ways um it's a little bit easier to not have to lean on potions all the time and another thing that got on my nerves about that is like you have to you can't just use the item like on the on the item screen you have to go back to the real-time screen as you're mm -hmm. playing and you throw it out of your hand and you have to walk into it some of them yeah. you do the, the yeah. potions, the potions I think you don't you'll lose. right yeah, you're, you'll use i mean yeah but when you use a pork chop or something you throw it on the ground and you have yeah. to walk back over it yeah that is kind of weird and some of it was really useless. You know, like, oh, green tea, I just healed 10 points. Thanks. Yeah. You know what? I didn't even use any, because I got all kinds of ice cream and strawberries, and I had, like, a whole buffet of <laughs> and I didn't even use it. <laughs> I think I used it later on in the game, because I never really figured out uh, any of the uh, weapons or items that stole uh, health from enemies. I just didn't quite figure that out. And so I was using potions and food items throughout uh, to the very end. Yeah, yeah, there were points yeah. where I was uh, in a boss fight down to like 10 health or something, and I was just throwing down all my food on the floor trying to eat as fast <laughs> as I can. <laughs> I'm about to die. Let's eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, it, was, it was very bizarre, and, and uh, I'm, I'm with you, Sean. I mean, that's, that was one of the most annoying things about this game, and I, I thought it could have been done better. I, I thought that, you know, there were enough save points around everywhere, and there was nothing that was... Oh, really difficult. They usually gave you a save point before you got to a, um, you know, before you got to a fight if you picked the right room. And, yeah, and I, I guess the good thing was you always knew when you walked into a room if it was a boss battle, and they allowed you to back out of the room. Mm -hmm. Did you notice? Yeah, pretty that? much. Like too. the music stops and the camera mm -hmm. pans over, and you mm -hmm. might say, "Wait, I'm not ready for this," and turn yeah, around right, and right. leave. And, and you absolutely know you're like, okay, this is a boss room. Let me like go across the way and see if there's a save right there, or you know, go right. back to my last save and make sure I'm ready for this. So that that was kind of nice that you know, like the doors didn't shut, you know, behind you as soon as you walked into the room. You know, as long as you were still and just kind of waited and didn't move forward too much, you could just kind of back up, which I thought was, I mean, you know, it, it was a nice touch. I mean, it, it probably wasn't necessary. I mean. You know, we're all adults here. We're all gamers. Hmm. Maybe we weren't at the time when we played this, but you know, I mean, we you know we can handle like you know taking taking a beat down, you know, and then coming back and you know figuring it out again. But yeah, you know, I, this is probably this touches on one of my points real quick, if 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 I may, is that um, you know, the game actually for me started out really difficult, and I think Jamie would agree. Like mm -hmm. the, the for me, like the first three or four hours were just like I was getting brutalized by enemies but I hit a turning point um some point after I got the wolf uh, power up that the it was almost like a roller coaster ratcheting up like within the first three hours the game's really hard and then I just went over I got over some kind of hump and the game just like became so easy for me and I think mm -hmm. it's because there's a lot of things like Rich is saying with 
knowing where the boss battles are, the abundance of save rooms, the fact that the save rooms replenish your health and, and mana every time. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you can really game the system in this game in a lot of ways, but that that's one of the things that it, it has, like, an overall ease of use, and that's one of the things that I liked a lot about this game is that it's only... It's only frustrating in the beginning, especially for somebody who's ne like me, who's never, I've never played this kind of game. And we even talked off the air before we started this playthrough, like a couple weeks ago. And I was saying that, like, I don't think I'm going to like this. I don't, I'm not into these kind of games. So it took me a while. But what I really loved was that after that initial difficulty and kind of grinding through it and really getting my, my butt kicked for a long time, learning how to, you know, know where the save rooms are, know those boss rooms, know if I could grind in an area or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, okay, I can explore that a little bit more. And like, th that's the, this is the nature of the game that we're, I'm kind of getting into here mm -hmm. is that, you know, you can't go up to this area now or how do I make this super long jump because you don't mm -hmm. know what the wolf power is yet. You know what I mean? Or when you go to a, a wall and it says mist could pass and you say, okay, I guess I'm, I need some kind of mist power to get through this. So it's, I mean, that's, that's why they call it a Metroid game or Metroidvania or whatever you want to call it. Like that's, that's what mm -hmm. it is, is having areas blocked off that you will eventually be able to get through. Right, so I'm kind of right. digressing. My original point is no, that no. the game is very exploitable in uh, so many different ways and you could play it if you want to be hard on yourself, you could beat the whole game with the first weapon that you get in the game and not pick up mm -hmm. any weapons. Like there's so many different ways you can run this game. Mm -hmm. By the end of my playthrough, I was just so invincible. And we're, yes. I, we'll talk about the, the Alucard shield, shield rod combination. But like I was so invincible that I, I did the final boss battle twice because of the first time I didn't even see any of it because I beat I beat mm -hmm. them both in like a second. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. how o overpowered I was by the end of the game and it was so easy. But um, that's I just like that a lot. I like games where you can exploit and game the system as you want to and as you discover things you know what i mean yeah, yeah. i like that too i think um <clears throat> for me the difficulty at the beginning wasn't so much with the fighting uh, though that came up sometimes but it was more with just being a little lost uh, which is mm -hmm. typical of metroid style games too mm -hmm. but uh, i had a lot of problems with not uh, understanding after getting an item from being a boss it felt like i should be able to go into the preceding room uh, but uh, it didn't seem to let me sometimes. Like I'd have to backtrack through the boss room again and then go find uh, a different path somewhere else. And mm -hmm. it didn't seem that clear right. like, uh, where I was supposed to be going. It was really directionless. Mm -hmm. There was also uh, the problem with the save rooms uh, where uh, until I looked up what the save room was supposed to look like, uh, I didn't even know uh, like what the save room was uh, oh, because yeah. I, I just kept seeing these rooms with this weird floating thing and I was like, okay, I must meet, need some item later to do something here. But right. then it's like, oh, you just hold up. It yeah. doesn't really explain that to you any anyway. Yeah, I didn't realize what it was at first either. I think I just kind of randomly hit up at one point. Oh, no, save. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... I save it, rooms in, are very cryptic. So yeah. so both of you had never played the game before, correct? No. Uh, okay, I okay. It. I haven't yeah, played any first timer. Yep. I played it um, a little over 10 years ago. And, uh, yeah, for me, it was like, it was like riding a bike. You know, you hadn't ridden a bike in years. You know, just the controls and everything just felt so good, you know. And 
it, you know, just, just kind of going through the game and, and kind of the touch back on what Sean was saying. What I, what I really like about the game is the way it's sort of like progress, even though like it's an open game, it, it feels like really wonderfully, like progressively designed. And what I sort of mean by that is when you're, when you're fighting enemies and you're fighting them on the level that you're currently on and it mm -hmm. feels like, right. You, you feel like you have like a weapon that's good enough for where you're at. You know, you're not having to hit like an enemy like 20 times, you know, you're hitting it a few times and then, you know, you're coming back later and then you can hit it one time and it's gone. You know, it just, it just felt like weapons, the items really uh, had a nice ascension, if you will. They mm -hmm. kind of like, they, they kind of like paralleled each other, you know, and, and just kept going up, you know, as your, your weapons would get um, better, the enemies would get a little bit harder. You know, and and it just really it felt very even. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I uh, never felt like I came to an area and uh, would think uh, this is somewhere I'm not supposed to be at. Uh, every time right. I came to a new area, it just felt like I was supposed to be there, and uh, it right. seemed like the weapons mapped really nicely with where you were going. And um, yeah, just and and let me say something else. Uh, I just want to say that Sean's um, pes pessimism is like one of the best things about these playthroughs. <laughs> I love yeah. it when he's playing a playthrough <laughs> with us because, like, like you're like three days in and just like about to rage quit, and I'm just chuckling to myself, like <laughs> as I'm reading the forums, and I'm just enjoying. I'm because I'm, I'm like he's gonna love this game, and I'm just gonna wait on. I'm gonna wait for that bulb <laughs> just to just to come on, you know, and and that is one of the best things about these playthroughs. I, I I love it. I love it. You know, just the. You know, just pessimistic at first, and a little frustration, but you know, when you start getting in your groove, and I and I feel like, as gamers, that's that's one of the best things about playing games is is they are frustrated at first because you're you're coming across something new, but when you you get in that groove, I mean, it's you know, it's it's second nature. Yeah, definitely, and I, I'm again, I said this with Eco, and I've said it with a bunch of other games that we've played, like Parasite Eve and The Wind Waker, is that this is another big one to cross off my list this is an all-time classic that you know <laughs> i love all the sony platforms and this is an all-time classic ps1 game some people would argue the best ps1 game of all time so i'm really happy to have played it and you know to cross it off my list so yeah we've mm. played some big games this year i mean to be yeah, quite definitely. honest i mean some some heavy hitters it's been a heavy mm. year i'm mm. really looking forward to see if we can hold that up either the next year or if we you know Play a few more, um, uh, maybe sort of hidden gems, and uh, but we'll see. We'll see. It should be should be interesting as we move forward. Yeah. Um, getting getting back to the weapons and the the item system, um, something else I, I really didn't like was the design of that system and how everything was just mixed up and you had to scroll to find everything. Yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> Games without a sorting system, and at the same time, no way to dis discard items uh, is just awful. Like uh, it, it was so messy. I wasn't. Yeah, I I was a little bit worried about you couldn't discard anything, but there's no limit, right? Like I never no, right. I never hit a limit. So no, so long no, no. as you you don't have uh, you know a maximum of things you can carry, then I didn't have a problem with it. And it usually, you know, it just puts the newest thing that you get on the bottom, so you just got to yeah. deal with it. But when you would switch things out to, like, get food, sometimes that would get sort of mixed up. Um, apparently, and I, I did not look over my instruction booklet, but apparently, apparently there's a way that you can 
manipulate that to where you can you know hit some buttons and it will list all the swords, all the shields, all the food items together. There's a way to organize it. Did you oh, guys cool. figure that out? No, I didn't. didn't I wish do I that. had because uh, there was the manual sorting option with Square, but uh, I was mm-hmm. doing that uh, near the end of the game. I was like, I've just got too much stuff, and I started sorting it all manually. Okay, okay. But I never figured out any automatic way, and I wish I had because I would have saved a lot of time. I, I'm pretty sure that's right. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it might have been one of the other games, like the Japanese version, or you know, another version of the game. But I, I'm pretty sure that you can do that, and I'm sure someone will point that out for us once again, or we'll put it in the show notes. We'll look at it. But, again, that's just something I wanted to touch on that was, you know, quite a bit annoying to me. And, and like Sean said, I mean, you know, people want to say that this game's perfect. It's not. I, I would never say that this is a perfect game, and it, it's hard for there to be, to me to even say any game's perfect. It, it definitely has its flaws, but, I mean, it's still a great game. It takes nothing away from how good it is. Mm. I think these things are sort of minor, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, definitely. So, kind of moving on a little bit... Um, We'll talk about some of the weapons and stuff, and you know, we'll let you guys talk about the shield rod and how that worked, which is superbly overpowered. And yeah, we'll uh, towards the end because that's <laughs> the point where most people start to use it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you also have sub weapons in the game. Um, you know, along with other things, you've got sub weapons, which is your secondary weapon, which is the, you know, once again, you know, something you have in every Castlevania game. Um, and this one, you, you've got the Return of the Holy Water, the Cross, uh, which is a little different in this uh, game in that it's sort of a, uh, a room kind of clearing option. Um, you've got the, uh, the dagger, of course, the weaker weapon that goes straight across the axe, which is, um, hits, is one of the hardest hitting weapons, but kind of flies in an arch and uh, takes up a lot of hearts to use. Um, uh, the Grimoire, which is the, uh, the book... Uh, the lightning, which is a, a somewhat of a rare item in the game. I don't think I ever which, saw that. One. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's only in one place. Well, I take that back. It's in two places in each castle. Um, it's an item that you can pick up at one point, and then um, did you guys come across the room that had the um, uh, looked like the laboratory and it had all the items floating in the uh, the uh, the sort of uh, the giant like test tubes or whatever and you could break them I did, and yeah, get them. I, did. I don't think I noticed okay. that one no, okay. or maybe it didn't stand out to me it, it, it looks like a sort of like a it's, it's red and blue it looks sort of like a coat of arms and Is you that throw, the it shoots a little purple like yes. laser kind of thing yeah yes but when it hits it like electrocutes everything around it it's pretty cool if you if you didn't get to use it you should definitely go back and and check it out it's one of my favorites and I was always trying to hold on to that or the um, the grimoire. Of course, because that was um, that was one of my favorites. You know, the book that just kind of flies around you. You know, yeah, I started book. on the axe uh, just because it seemed to do a decent amount of damage. But then Sean mentioned on the forums the uh, book, and yeah. uh, I tried that, and it's like, okay, never going back to the axe. This is <laughs> so much better. Right, and yeah, then of I course would... you. Go- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sean. I was just gonna say I, I, I was using the grimoire for a lot of the beginning of the game because it has a it has a good defensive element to it because it kind of shields you as it flies mm-hmm. around you and uh, yeah. I also like that like clicky clackety sound that it makes when it goes around <laughs> you so there was that element to it but then actually somebody um, I think it was Jerry Greenwood on the forum mentioned that the holy water was super overpowered so I was like yeah. okay I'm using holy water from now on <laughs> and it really is overpowered I I beat a lot of bosses with it so 
as it is in every game, every right. Castlevania game, the holy water is always overpowered. I mean, the only thing that's bad about it is the range. You know, you have to be sort of close. It doesn't, you can't throw it very far. Uh, but it tends to be one of the most overpowered items in every Castlevania game. And right, and the that fact that you can here. just spam the hell out of it. If you have enough yep. hearts, you can just wail on the button and drop like 50 of them at once, you know, and you get all that separate damage going on at once. And it immobilizes it's, enemies too. Yep, yep yeah, it's, it's killer. I think I tried it and I just saw the range. And uh, this is the one that made that little green fire sort yes. of thing? Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. And I think I just thought it didn't feel very effective uh, when I first used it. So I, I kind of never went back to it and didn't really give it much of a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, I sort of stuck with the Grimoire through most of the game yeah. and only used the cross on a couple end game bosses. But otherwise, uh, I didn't really find much use out of everything else. I know uh, Shadow Kisarga, you mentioned the dagger being good on bosses, but it just seemed too weak to me. Uh, yeah. Like it, it took so much ta- time to throw it that it wasn't really worth it. Yeah, it, it seems like you had to. You, yeah, it only used you know minimal amount of hearts, you know, but you just had to throw so many, and it was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm just gonna stand here and just keep throwing things. All right, yeah. I'm just gonna go hit this thing with my, you know, with my sword, yeah, like whatever. Your sword versus yeah. like fifty hits of the dagger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for cert for certain, you know, things it's probably pretty good. I mean, like the Medusa heads, things that you can take out in one swipe. Um, you know, those things are kind of cool if you can throw something straight across the screen and mm. and hit them before they get close to you, but. Uh, you know, other than that, I I just you know. Oh, and uh, one that I think you forgot to mention the uh, that little jewel thing. I can't remember what it was called. But the, oh, the, the diamond. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, diamond, the diamond. The Absolutely, yeah, the diamond shows up in uh, Castlevania too, uh, Simon's Quest. But it's instead of like a, a laser. But I'm gl- I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, instead of a laser, it's more of a like sort of like a, um, a hexagon or something that kind of or oh, okay. pentagon. Yeah, hexagon that, that sort of like bounces around the room instead of like a small laser, but. Yeah, I found wow. that one pretty useful. That was kind of yeah. my secondary go-to after the book. Uh, oh, really? It, yeah, I found uh, it was pretty powerful on a lot of bosses, and it could get angles on ones that hmm. uh, the book didn't seem to hit very well. Hmm. I, I never used it in any boss battles. I thought it was I thought it was a fairly worthless item to have. Uh, I, I thought it just taking out trash. And, yeah, uh, it was like a little more powerful than the dagger, but kind of a similar style of attack. Yeah. I could see that in an, in an enclosed room where you're fighting a boss. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's you know flying around everywhere, I, I can see how that would be an effective item in a boss fight. But yeah. like I said, for trash mobs, I, I just I, I didn't find it really useful. So, but that's cool. I, I mean, it's it's cool that we all use sort of different things. And then of course the pocket watch, um, again staple of the Castlevania games. But something in this game that I really like is that it had a secondary purpose, and that was to access some different areas in the game, right? Mm-hmm. I think that oh. was the only time I actually used it. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I uh, didn't like how it used 20 hearts uh, every time you used it, and so I mm-hmm. avoided it because of that. But it did allow you to access that, um, you know, the area, uh, a certain area in the clock tower, and I thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of a neat touch. I think someone had asked me, gosh, how do I move that statue? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't think it's the clock tower. Um, I, I think we've got the names confused. I saw in the thread people were a little confused too because the clock tower is the name of the place uh, with the floating skulls and the giant skulls, as far as I know. Um, because um, floating the, skulls, the ones that go up and down. Uh, no, the, uh, the the giant like glowing blue ones. Are you talking about Medusa heads? In in, in, in like no, the, the, uh, the sort of the bird women. Like, clack clack clack. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what the area is called. It's yeah, the first area where you have to use the wolf power to make the long jumps. 
I, I actually uh, speaking of the wolf fire, I never actually figured that one out. Um, uh, and, like I, yeah. I got that unlocked, and it's like uh, I tried a bunch of combinations, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. yeah, I think I just used bat to get across there eventually. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, I guess we're talking about like the giant clock that's sort of in the center of the castle. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I knew which room you were talking about, but I think the yeah. the, uh, uh, the name of it isn't Clock Tower. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, there's another place called Clock Tower, which might confuse people. Yeah, well, usually the clock tower in most of the Castlevania games has to do with the place where all the um, the sort of the, the giant gears and stuff like that are. And it yeah. usually has like a sort of there'll usually be like kind of swinging like pendulums and things like that that you see on clocks. That that's usually, you know, what the area looks like in most Castlevania games. It's again, again, it's it's them paying homage. It's the clock tower is always the most crappy and aggravating part of mostly any Castlevania game, and, and Castlevania nuts will tell you that. Um, and it, it always has Medusa heads floating around, and they're always knocking you back, and it just, it, it really stinks. So Yeah, well, that's um, the one I'm talking about, too, but I, uh, I thought that the place where we used to stopwatch wasn't that one, but it was someone with a big clock face, hmm. which is a different uh, location. Well, kind of moving on from that, um, let's talk a little bit about the controls of the game. I mean, things you liked or disliked about the controls of this game? I like the fact that it's the traditional Castlevania controls for the most part. I mean, you're mm-hmm. pressing up and attack to use your uh, mm-hmm. s- sub-weapon. Mm-hmm. You have a main attack power. You, you have a jump. But then I guess what makes this game special is all the extra stuff that mm-hmm. you can do as far as when you get your double jump powers or transforming into your... Uh, you know, when you're doing your shape-shifting into your different yep. forms. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess, do you want to talk about the spell system? Is that Does that fall under the uh, controls? Because that's a that's a big part of what the spell system is, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll hit that. Um, just let me touch on something you, you were talking about. And one of the things that I really liked was the um, how you use the top buttons, how they were mapped to the, the different forms. You know the bat yeah. form, the mist form, and and the wolf form. That that was something I thought was really cool because you could just switch, um, you know, in between those on the fly. You didn't have to do a certain like um, button combination or anything like that. You know, it was just the touch of a button, and I thought that was a really awesome design. I mean, it sounds simple, but you know, with the PlayStation One, I mean, it was just a great use of those. You know, those top uh, sort of. Uh, uh, upper triggers, which was which was great, and yeah. you know, just something I really liked about it. Kind of makes up for the the cumbersome item system mm-hmm. is that they got that part right about about it. And, you know, if you it, right as you're doing a jump, that you realize, oh, I have to turn into the bat, turn into the bat, and go and fly up. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. all mm-hmm. instantaneous. And you can right. kind of uh, get a little bit of extra height first with your double jump before even turning into the bat because the bat tends to be a bit slower. Yeah. Right. Right. We'll kind of kick it back to what what you were talking about, Sean. Um, if you want to speak about the uh, spells and things of that nature with the controls. Yeah, so uh, this game has a spell system where you can do certain kind of spells. Some of them attack, some of them heal under certain circumstances. And the way you do them is by certain keystrokes that are basically pretty much like fighting game moves. <laughs> I was going to say, I felt like I was playing Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah, and they're really hard to do, but they're kind of worth it. And the funny thing is, you can buy them from the librarian, but you can also just kind of discover them by accident. Or if you just look at an FAQ or somebody tells you how to do them, you can just do them. You don't have to unlock them in any way. Right. So I, I actually, I had a couple of... Um, 
a couple of coworkers of mine are actually like fanatically obsessed with this game. So I knew about Soul Steal pretty early on, which is a very powerful spell that uh, kills most enemies and it kills everything on the screen takes a lot of their hp it breaks all the candles and it'll break any false walls or ceilings or floors in the room so it's a it's a very powerful spell but the way that the way to do it is to hit back forward down back forward and attack at the same time it's this whole like that's stupid. Like I would try, to, <laughs> I tried to do it so many times that like my thumb was starting to get torn up, like trying to do it. It's really hard to do until you get the hang of it. And even when you get the hang of it, you're just kind of rolling around the, the control pad, just trying to do it over and over. But it's a, yeah. it's a pretty cool system. And it's like, you, you don't have to use it at all. You could get the, through the whole game without even knowing about it or using right. it. It's just one more extra layer of complexity and just another system that's in the game for you to discover. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I think I would have preferred to have it either as an equipable item uh, or tied to some other simpler button combination, like mm -hmm. uh, maybe the opposite of your sub weapon, uh, like holding down and an attack or something. And yeah. I think I would have preferred that because it just was so difficult to pull these off that to me it wasn't even worth it. Like, I understand that the Soul Steel one sounds pretty good, but after trying Dark Metamorphosis for the first time, I just was done with spells. It's like, it's not uh, happening for me, and uh, I don't really like fighting game uh, difficult combinations like that to begin with, and yeah. this seemed even more touchy than those. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, the, the only one that I used um, was Summon Spirit, um, and, um, you know, I, I would use that in rooms where, you know, I needed to knock, um, you know, the ceiling out or something like that, and I didn't have a sub item that would help me knock the ceiling out. Um, you know, you could use that, uh, and it would hit them. And then there were there were several boss fights where you could stand on platforms and, and really dodge really well, or the bosses wouldn't attack you if you were on platforms. Um, and uh, you could just you could just spam that and just take out the bosses. I mean, it didn't take a lot of hearts, or, or I'm sorry, not hearts, but um, mana. And so, you know, I would use I would use that one, but I do remember on the forums that um, and I can't remember who posted it, but there was, you know, someone's like, is anybody using magic in this game? <laughs> you know, and it's it is it's sort of one of those things. It's sort of it's neat, but it, it feels kind of um, tagged on, mm -hmm. if you will. It's not kind of like um, and something that's not in our notes, but I, we could hit on real quick is the familiars and that they're they're kind of in the same vein. Um yeah. I don't know if you want to mm -hmm. wait on talking about that or if we just lump it in with the magic as something that's kind of there if you want to use it, but it's not crucial to completing the game. It's kind of cool, but you, yeah, you don't yeah. have to use it. The familiars yeah. are kind of like that to me, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's where I was going to move on to next. It's in the outline, bro. Look at it. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgot. No, but we'll, yeah. No, yeah. Um, I, I think they were called, like, cards. But I mean, they were they were called familiars, but the uh, I guess the relic was oh, called the card. Oh, that's why. Yeah, in the in yeah, your notes like the you call them cards. Card. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of familiars. <laughs> so you get the card, and that gives you the ability to use the familiar. That's mm -hmm. what it is. I really yeah. liked how they level up individually. Uh, it took me a little while to notice that actually, because I forgot about mm -hmm. the familiars menu. But I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Which one? Yeah. Which one did you guys use most? The fairy for me. I thought that was pretty useful. Yeah, I use yeah. yeah I use the fairy a lot and also the sword after I got it. Oh and I, but yeah, Sword's I think awesome. I liked 
I think the familiars to me were almost like I liked them more. It almost how you felt like you had a friend following you around, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like talking to you. It's kind of cool, like <laughs> when well, the sword maybe. is going slice, you know what I mean? <laughs> As he's flying around, it's like pretty cool that they, you know. And again, this is like the the melding of the the newer technology with an older style of game. Is that they they have a game on CD now? They can have digitized voice acting, even in game, not just in a cutscene, but in mm-hmm. game while you're playing. So yeah. even like with your familiars are talking to you, or when you when you pull off one of those spells, you know, Alucard will say Soul Steel, and it's you know mm-hmm. it's pretty cool yeah. in game to have that. Yeah. I guess my my only issue with the familiars, I, I liked them, um, but they just, I, I guess you know I would have liked to had some option to like somewhat control them. D- does that make sense? I mean that you you have, they're you're just sort of depending on them to you know attack and 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 do what they do mm-hmm. at, at sort of random times. You know, uh, that's why I, I probably like the sword more than any because if you were in a room of enemies or a boss, it was gonna fly around that room and fly toward it and then spin. Yeah. You know, um, but the others, it was just sort of erratic. You know, they would attack sometimes. Sometimes they would just kind of stand there. And usually, as I'm going through a room, I'm taking things out so quick that they just have no time to react at all. Yeah, the uh, like the bat and the demon both are really slow, and half the time they didn't skull even do too. Mm. The, the skull was slow too. I mean, the skull and the bat were pretty much the same. They would just pretty much fly up and latch onto something, and then you know hit it. You know, after a, a, a little bit of time. Yeah, uh, with the fairy, I, I didn't actually realize at first that it was just using my own items to heal me and other things like that. I thought for a long time that it was giving me these free 100 health heals, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is awesome. This, uh, this passive thing that will heal me before I die. And, yeah. uh, and then uh, after uh, a while, I noticed, oh, wait, I'm almost out of potions now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the fairy would uh, find secret walls. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I think I did, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah one. She would she'll find- give you little hints, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the demon, what's this button? I'm going to press it. (laughs) I mean, you know, that was, it just cracked me up. It's so awesome. You're just kind of walking around and you've got him, and then you just run across the switch and he just goes over to it and starts talking about it. Mm. It's just cracked me up, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean. uh, Sorry, I was just going to say, how did you actually find the sword? Because I never found that uh, throughout the game. Uh, I actually had to consult um, a video to find it. I'd found it before playing through. And uh, and I knew it was not in the inverted castle. Before I went to the inverted castle, I was like, ah, I'm just gonna look up, see how to find it. Um, yeah, it's it's in a very very random place. Hmm. Um, you know, through the top of a, it, it's through the top of the sort of like a a stone like hallway, and it's just, you know, you would just have to someone playing it would actually have to accidentally break that piece of wall or or hit it and hit it and put a crack in it and then. You know, find it. It's very random, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, I actually had to ask you for mm-hmm. that video that you sent me to get mm-hmm. that wall open. Although I did, yeah. like I said, I, I had a feeling there was something about that area, but I didn't mm-hmm. have any. I yeah. I could I guess I could have just opened it with a sub weapon, but I didn't think I had the capability to do anything about it. I could, I don't think I could have jumped up there as early yeah. in the game as I realized there was something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, did, that, that was kind of random. Yeah, I didn't use a walkthrough for the rest of the game, but just that that one thing. I was like, I really want to find that sword because it's my favorite. That's my favorite familiar. I want to find it. So so I did, you know, consult uh, a walkthrough for that. And so I I think having that also makes the inverted castle a lot easier, in, in my opinion. But 
Um, we'll, we'll talk about the forms a little bit. We already talked about the controls and how you know you could switch from bat, wolf to mist. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought you know all of those were very useful. Each of them had different abilities you could find too after you had you know found the soul of the wolf, soul of the bat. I, I guess you know I really didn't use a lot like the the fire the bat fireballs I didn't use a lot no, and the bat sonar I only used in that there was one dark room you know where the uh before you're going to get the spike breaker armor mm. where you can like throw out that echo and it will kind of light up the room and you can see the spike so you can navigate in the dark through that yeah. I, I don't think it even functioned in any other room did it no no so no, I mean, but you you can eventually upgrade it so it becomes an attack but by oh, it's dude. so late in the game by that point you, right. i never even used it by the time i got it i think it's like power of echo or something like that yeah so, something, something like that something of that um the only one the only like sort of add-on that i found useful and i think we we're we we're talking about this before the call and it was super overpowered was the um i think it was called the power of mist mm-hmm gas cloud or something like that yeah yeah and it's where you just become this like poison mist cloud and um i found that I, I think in my play through the inverted castle for whatever reason um i went from the library not not from the library but from um i guess dracula's room um to the left and went up the uh, outer wall and then from the outer wall i went over and then kind of cleared the um which was the sort of um, the bottom area of the first castle. I sort of cleared that first. Um, and um, I was able to get that. And, um, you know, after that, I still had probably five or six boss fights left. Wow. And, um, you know, I would just convert into that mist and just, just sit there until it died. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, it, it was it's pretty easy. And, and going that way, I was also able to get the... Um, uh, Alucard shield is up in that area as well. Mm. So, um, you know, for anybody who's like trying to kind of, I guess, speed run it, I, I guess I would say, you know, if if those are items, I'm I'm not sure what items. You know, I've never seen a speed run of this game, but if if you need those items, it's probably a pretty decent way to go. You mm. know. Yeah, I think uh, those two, both of those, uh, well, the the shield rod, Alucard shield combo, and the uh, gas cloud, I got those really close to the end of the game. So I think I only actually uh, used the shield uh, combination for the last three bosses, maybe, mm -hmm. which for me was Galamoth and then Shaft and Dracula. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the gas cloud, I didn't actually think to use that on the bosses just because once I got the shield combo, it worked too well to use anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing happened to me. I had every relic except for one, and I think the one I was missing was the one that makes the bat dash, if there is such a thing, like the bat. No, there's really not. Fast. That's a combin. That's actually a combination. Oh, okay. Uh, so I wonder yeah. which one I was missing because I think I had that that poison mist or the power mist or whichever one you're talking about. Yeah. I was only missing one relic. I guess I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. You have to you might have to go back and look through that. I think I think each um I wanna say that each familiar not familiar, each form had three powers attached to it and then each um there were five cards. So, um and you know, and then and there mm -hmm. were a few other you know, sort of random relics as well. So right. Yeah. I, uh, also, uh, for the mist, I forgot to mention that I didn't even realize you could avoid enemy attacks with it until pretty late in the game. Mm -hmm. So for the longest time, uh, I didn't use it that often because I mm -hmm. thought its only purpose was to go through those crates. Mm -hmm. uh, but then once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I can skip entire rooms here and places yeah. where I'm having trouble with. 
Well, I'll go ahead and say the poison mist does not work on Dracula at the end. It oh, does okay. not affect him. But I did use it, you know, where he opens his hands up and he, he like a there'll be like a succubus in between his hands before he squishes you know, squishes it. I would I would turn into mist to uh, avoid that attack. Hmm. Or if I got stuck on the outside, if I got pushed to the outside, I would flip in the mist to get back to the center so that I could keep, you know, stabbing at the heads or, you know, whatever. I killed so. him just too fast for myself to even get to that point. Like, I didn't see him uh, spawn a succubus or anything. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, uh, we maybe we should talk about that combination now uh, if we're... Yeah, we keep alluding to it. Yeah. And that was a big turning point in the game for me as well. Uh, sure. The, the, shield, the shield rod. Yeah, the shield rod itself has a whole system to it. Again, another system in this game that mm-hmm. is just based on one weapon that you can find in the game and all the shields that you find. It's crazy. Yeah, but no, the like, shield rod on its own isn't even that good of a weapon, too. Until right, you use on it its own, it. right, yeah. exactly. You have to have a shield equipped, and it has all kinds of different powers with depending on which shield you're using. Um, but, what, of course, what you really want and what we keep talking about is the Alucard shield, which is found one. right, not the Alucard shield, but the Alucard shield, mm-hmm. which is um, located in the inverted castle at the top, meaning the the literal top, which is actually the bottom of the the inverted castle. But combined with the shield rod, what that does, it does two. If you you know you activate it by pressing both attack buttons, and it does this mm-hmm. cool animation, and then you hold it out and just run around, and it it breaks all candles and it does 251 damage uh, like for every hit Something and like that, yeah. and it also heals you 8 hp for everything that you touch so you're just running around killing everything instantly collecting every item that you see <laughs> i think it i think it makes hearts pop out of everything too so you're just loading up on hearts and hp it's just so i mean if if there is anything like in a game that is so game-breakingly overpowered. I mean, this yeah. has to go down in the in in history as one of those things without being a cheat code, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like you said, you could use it with other um, items as well, uh, with other shields as well. So every shield had its own sort of special. I mean, even the most basic shields had their own like little special sort of attack. Which I thought was kind of neat, you know. Yeah, the they game. are pretty cool, and you uh-huh. they they do have like pr- really cool animations, you know, when you set them up, like some cool, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, like a a dragon will come out, or like yeah. a, a goddess will come out and heal you, yeah. or fi- you know, they'll fight for you. It's pretty cool. Like, yeah, you and sometimes it was, yeah, sometimes it was like, you know. It was a cool animation, but it didn't do a whole lot, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's it true was, too. It, it was kind of, you know, a lot of work for nothing. Uh, but I actually used it for another. Fi- I actually used it w- in conjunction with another shield for another fight. I believe it was the the herald shield that was sort of like the the shield that's like divided into like four colors mm-hmm. on the yeah, front. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and that was the um, the one that was um, fire and lightning protection. And I actually used that in the battle against Gallimoth. So okay. um, cool. every time I got hit with the lightning, it was taken off one, and nice. so that that was really sort of it, it took me forever to take him down, um, because uh, and and I did not have the Al- Alucard shield yet, even though mm-hmm. it's in the, sort of the same area. I, I somehow missed it on the way to him. Hmm. I got to him first, uh, but um, but I but I did use that method to take him down, which which really must have taken a long time. Took forever. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it took forever. That guy has some serious. Um, 
uh, ha- has some serious hit points. Yeah, my problem with, uh, uh, well, not problem, but it was my own fault with that whole uh, shield rod system was that I didn't realize you had to hold the uh, shield up after activating it. And so mm-hmm. for the longest time, I was like, well, this Alucard shield thing it does a cool animation, but it doesn't seem to do anything. Because before mm-hmm. that, I had been using the knight shield where it said defensive up or something like that. And mm-hmm. I thought it felt yeah. like that was passive. Right. Um, I don't think you need to hold the shield up for that one. Uh, but uh, then with the Alucard right. one, you did. And so I didn't realize that at first. And then once I did realize that, it's like, okay, I'm not using anything else but this. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The game's over at that point. Exactly. Like, you, yeah. you can do anything. Yeah. Like yeah. I killed Galamoth and. 30 seconds or less. Yeah. And it is overpowered, but it's kind of a cool thing. I mean, your normal player that's playing this game is not going to find that, you know, no. but... Um, I wouldn't know without a video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, and, but if people like us are playing it, it's kind of a cool thing to have in a game, because you're like, yeah, this is way overpowered, let's just run around and have some fun with this, you know, and you can kind of choose how you want to play the game, you know. Yeah, and that kind of enabled me, I, I like I mentioned on the forum, that there's nothing on the on the inverted castle, there's nothing on the east side of the castle worth checking out, like there's no um, necessary items mm-hmm. to complete the game, and I said, well, I'm not going to explore it, but I was having so much fun just plowing through everything with the Alucard shield that I ended up exploring it just because I could and it was like you know like a hot knife through butter you know just going right. through, the, the, through the rest of the game so I just did it you know what I mean because I said yeah. it's, it's just it's everything short of a cheat code you know just to be you know godlike running through the game absolutely absolutely really like yeah and, and you don't feel so bad about it because you're not really manipulating the game that's no. part of the game Right. I mean, yeah, definitely. And I mean, so you yeah, earned it. You don't, have your game ge- you don't have your game genie plugged in. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and that's that's what I was talking. You know, when I was talking about earlier, how the game's really tough in the beginning, but by the end, you're you're running the show. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's right. that's it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we we touched on a little bit of um, we we spoke about Gallimoth, which we we were talking before the show, and uh, I think we can all agree that that guy is probably like the suckiest enemy in the game. I mean, maybe not to you guys because you parent guys apparently had the overpowered uh, shield rod, Alucard um, shield. Um, but we were talking a little bit about what our favorite boss boss was in the game, and um, it's funny because we we. For those of you guys listening, we, we didn't want to say what our favorite... I didn't want anybody to say what their favorite boss was because um, we were just like, well, you know, let's let it be a surprise. But it, somehow, you know, we, we kind of pulled it out of each other and um, we all had the same favorite boss, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was... Um, uh, it, I thought it was called Legion, but I think that's what it's called in other games, as, as Sean had pointed out to me. Uh, but the name of the boss is actually Grand Falloon and... Um, I'll let uh, Sean talk about that for a minute. I think he has something um, sort of special to add to that. Oh, sure, which I didn't look up in the meantime, but I should have. Um, Yeah, the Grand Falloon is, uh, in the game, it's just this mass of bodies, like human bodies, and it's really cool. They, they like fall down. It's just bodies raining on you and they it's just... A corpse ball. Walk over. <laughs> yeah, it's like this... Um, you know, just big ball of of hu- human forms falling and walking around. Um, but it's actually it, it's it's from a Kurt Vonnegut novel, and it is from Cat's Cradle. Um, and it's 
it's I'm, I'm looking at uh, the Wikipedia right now. It, it's a group of people who share uh, who who affect a shared identity or purpose, uh, but who you, whose mutual association is actually meaningless. So that's why it's known as Legion in a lot of other games, and and the mm-hmm. concept of Legion is like a group mind or you know mm-hmm. a, a a collection of you know people or entities or you know uh, consciousnesses where mm-hmm. you know the the group is bigger than the individual so it's like you you it's a really symbolic thing actually mm-hmm. but on the other hand it's also really cool that it's just this massive bodies and as you beat it like as you're taking off sections of it they like you know sections of bodies explode and they expose this like brain thing and you know <laughs> it's an it's an awesome bo- just a really cool boss battle yeah there's nothing special about fighting it i mean it's not like it's not overly difficult or anything no. you know it is what it is it's not jumping around the screen uh, it's not firing anything at you it's just dropping bodies all over the floor and it's 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 so bizarre, but it looks so cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like you said, what it explodes as well when you knock a section of it off. I mean, it's mm. it's it's really cool. It's really uh, satisfying so, to knock down all the bodies too once they're on the ground, like one hit for everything. Yeah. Okay, so so I propose this question: second favorite boss. Second oh, favorite. Oh, that's a <laughs> more difficult question. Um, maybe I'll let uh, Sean go first. I think he had a second favorite lined up already. Well, you know, I re- I really like the final form of Dracula. Actually, the last boss. Um, you know, it's it's the final boss of the game. Now we're t- we're talking about the Alucard shield and the shield rod. And and what I had said off the air before we started rolling was that I went through Shaft. I didn't even see what Shaft did. I beat him in in literally one like one or two seconds. Like. I just mm-hmm. jumped and he was dead. <laughs> right. Dracula, yeah. I kind of bided my time a little, but I just kind of blew right through him too. So I actually just reloaded my save and and did it again. And I really, you know, Dracula is pretty cool. He 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 does like this kind of thing where he he backs off into the background and shoots at mm-hmm. you from a distance. And mm-hmm. I also like that he he's kind of like this three-headed monster that kind of I don't know if you guys made this connection, but like the heads kind of look like alien heads, uh, like from the alien movies, the xenomorphs, like the H.R. Geiger designs. Yeah, yeah did yeah. you guys think that too? Like yeah, I thought that yeah. was. That was kind of cool, like and sort of metallic looking as well. Sort yeah, of like exactly. Those yeah, yeah. Um, so absolutely. yeah, I liked uh, Dracula's final form was pretty cool. I just want to throw it in. I did not have that much of a problem with Gallimoth. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I saw him much later in the game, and I was better equipped to take him on. Like I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. But you, I you also didn't use had the shield rod uh, combo with I'm the not Alicard sure. Shield? I don't think so. If, if I, you didn't I, have a problem, if you didn't have a problem with him, I'm sure you used the shield rod combo because that that he he's pretty tough. I mean, maybe. he takes a lot of hits. I mean, it's and, and he's hard to get close to. I mean, he, yeah. he fires these that. orbs I, at I, you. That's and, probably what happened. I remember like yeah. like death was the first boss that I faced with the shield rod and Alucard, and I just. You know, again, plowed right through him. I couldn't, and that's, I, I guess that's the one drawback, a quick aside of the shield rod Alucard shield, is that, like, death could have been a really cool boss. I don't know. I just, you know, I knocked him over in two seconds. Like, yeah, I, exactly. you know, so I might have, you know, you might miss out on a little bit of of that because of that. But I also want to throw in one more thing. The, one of my least favorite bosses was the, the Hippogriff, which 
mm-hmm. just an easy boss in general, but early in the game, I was still kind of getting used to the controls, getting used to, I was calling them Twitch controls, but that's actually an exaggeration. That's just because I'm not used to playing this, you know, I'm not into playing this kind of game all the time. So basically, he's so easy that you can duck under all of his attacks. You just got to not be standing where where he is when he lands on the ground. And, that, you know, he's very uh-huh. easy to beat. But he was giving me fits because he's actually pretty far away from a save room the first mm. time you encounter him. So yeah. it, t- it took me a long time to figure out what to do with him. So that that was probably my least favorite boss, just just from that perspective, because I had so much trouble with them early in the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of uh, most of the fights, not just the boss fights, too, is realizing that you can duck under a lot of their attacks. Like, there was many enemies where I found they were really annoying, and then I realized that uh, their attacks were pretty high up, and, and ducking just made it so much easier. Right, right. Yeah. I would say probably my favorite, um, or second favorite, I guess, boss battle. And my, my opinion is kind of based on art and sort of the design of the battle, too, and the scenery. I really like the, uh, the Scala battle. Uh, the the woman that sat on top of the two wolf heads with the tentacles. Mm, um, I found that one kind of annoying. Uh, yeah, it, it was a little annoying, but but I, I did really like it a lot. I just I like that. Like one I said, too. based on the animation and and just just the art of it, it was was really cool. I really like that. I be, I believe that was a uh, spam holy water kind of boss for me. I think there's like pillars yeah. in that room you can just stand on and just yes, rain holy water down on her. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a throwback to uh, Homer's The Odyssey t- as well. If you guys weren't familiar with that, uh, Scala and Charybdis. Charybdis. Uh, <laughs> Charybdis was a giant whirlpool, and Scala was sort of like a rock monster uh, that would pick off sailors as they sailed by, just pull them off of the ship. So, um, cool. yeah, just there was an illusion to that, which I thought was pretty cool. I haven't read so. it yet, but I uh, do have it, and I'm planning on reading it eventually. All right, and Jamie, second favorite? Second favorite, I'm looking at the list here, and I'm thinking I actually uh, really enjoyed the uh, one with the fake characters, fake Grant, Sifa, and oh, Trevor. Okay, yeah. And that one was mm-hmm. actually pretty cool. Um, uh, it was just sort of normal people that you're fighting. and uh, Or, well, I mean, it feels like they're normal people. I guess they're fakes of the real ones. And I didn't really understand who they were. I'm assuming it's some mm-hmm. reference to a previous game. Well, well that, that'll, be a, that'll be a really good uh, transition then for us we'll, we'll talk about okay. that but, but go ahead finish, finish what you're saying first <laughs> yeah um uh it's just uh, uh i don't know i just uh, felt that they were kind of fun uh, like having yeah. the three of them going there and uh, the uh, very different style of attacks that they had uh, yeah uh, it wasn't overly difficult but it wasn't super easy either because i yeah. didn't have the shield rod alucard shield combo at that point okay yeah i, I just gas cloud that was it just gas yeah, cloud no, i didn't that have that fight. either i don't think at that point so. yeah yeah so but um, they're actually from Castlevania Three. Oh, um, okay. They're they're the characters of Castlevania Three that you can unlock, um, along with um, Alucard, of course. So that was an, an um, kind of a kickback, kind of an allusion to that. Um, and that's something that I did want to talk about with this game is how um, it, it's it's a really awesome throwback to those um, those earlier games. I think it's something we talked about a little bit earlier and sort of alluded to, but you know, not specifically. Um, so you had that as a part of Castlevania III. Um, did you guys notice anything about Simon's Quest that they integrated into the game? 
I never actually played Simon's Quest when we oh, did that playthrough. So. Shame, shame. Yeah, I, shame I don't know enough about it. Like, okay, I've played it, okay. but not to completion, and I don't remember it that much. So Okay, so so one of the the premise of Castlevania, um, Simon's Quest, Castlevania 2, is that you're collecting all of Dracula's body parts. Um, oh, okay. You collect, you actually, in the inverted castle, you collect all the same body parts, the five body parts, hmm. to put Dracula. Um, well, in in this case, you, you do it to enter the um, the room where he's at, but you that's what you collect to put him back together. So that's the illusion of Castlevania too. Uh, of course, you know the bosses, or I mean, excuse me, the enemies are, um, you know, reused for almost every Castlevania game. Um, and for Castle, the first Castlevania, you've the um, the room where you fight Dracula is basically the same setup, just better graphics. Um, and so you know the tower, even that sort of. Um, you know, that sort of leap that you have to make from one side to the next. I mean, all of that is um, from Castlevania 1, just an allusion to the original. And that's what's so cool about these games is they keep, you know, they keep reusing sort of the, I mean, they make it look nicer, but they keep using like the same scenery, mm. you know, the same um, you know, the same enemies and, and things of that nature. Um, but there's also down, I want to say it's either in the Colosseum or in the Catacombs, there is an allusion to Rondo of Blood. Um there is this giant in Rondo of Blood. There's this crazy scene where this giant, like horned beast with no backside. It's just all chewed off, like stalks you and chases you across the screen, and you That's just creepy. have to run from it. Yeah, it's really creepy. But that is actually integrated, uh, like into into the background, into the wall of um, of one of the areas, and so it's it's pretty cool. I mean. And just something I wanted to touch on real quick. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. A big mural in the background of one scene. I think I remember seeing a couple places with big murals, and I thought it yeah, felt like it's it had not a like a, it's not a mural. It's actually like it looks like the animals like decaying in the background. Oh, okay. Um, I think I sort of remember vaguely mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. If you look up Rondo of Blood, you'll you'll see that that beast. <laughs> so it's it's a pretty iconic um, part of that game. That's really um, cool because it's so bizarre. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of mention that, and um, also, um, I guess we'll just kind of move on and talk a little about the music. Mm -hmm. Music in this game was, um, and I'll probably butcher this as well, it was composed by Michiru Yamane. I think that's a Yamani. Yamani, Yamani, yep, Yamani, that would sound better. And um, it contains elements from um, several music genres, uh, classical, techno, gothic, new age jazz, and... Uh, course uh some subgenres of metal including like thrash metal and black metal it, it's bizarre like you know i noticed that in the music but just didn't really you don't really put that together as you're playing it it, it all sounds like it, it goes together but it's a ton of different styles of music mm -hmm. and it's, it's bizarre how someone can take these different genres and um you know mix them in something that's just so cohesive yeah i already had the a bit of a favorite picked out here, the clock tower music. I think. Uh, okay. I, I'm not sure if it's uh, a reference to previous games. It feels like it's a Castlevania style theme to me, but okay. uh, this was definitely one of my favorite themes. It's like a mix of metal with something else, and just uh, felt really good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's bizarre. That you, again, like I said, you can combine those things, and it would just sound so great. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't point to a specific track that I really liked. I mean, I thought the music was just incredible for the entire game you know and it just it just fit well with the atmosphere of the game it really brought something to it which you know that that just doesn't happen with every game 
mm-hmm. as as we all know. So I think uh, the only thing I have a little bit against the music is not so much mm-hmm. uh, the uh, music itself, because on uh, a song by song uh, level, they're all really good. But mm-hmm. uh, I felt like some of the music uh, didn't really fit in with what was actually happening on screen. Uh, that okay. well, like some of them felt a little bit too upbeat and cheery almost uh, for such a creepy uh, abandoned mm-hmm. castle with all these uh, intense uh, monsters and crazy stuff going on. And then they've got this uh, music uh, where, like a friend of mine had a good way of saying it. She said it's like a hero's getting ready uh, to save the day or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is some sort of like heroic type yeah. music. Yeah, but you're it felt right. Like it didn't really right. fit with the uh, creepy uh, horror atmosphere sometimes. Uh. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and 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 I and I, I think I know exactly what track, or, or at least one of the tracks that you're talking about. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. I don't have the name but of it, but uh, I'll try to I'll try to post that uh, mm-hmm. on the discussion thread. Uh, I think the, the one that I felt fit uh, with uh, a room the best was in the abandoned mines, where it just had that really soft, slow piano playing, and that was in the in the rooms where it's like kind of uh, rock walls and everything, and it's just uh, water dripping everywhere. Yeah, yeah. That one was really good. So, uh, I'll just kind of move into this next section. Unless, Sean, if you have anything to add about the music, we'll let you go to it. Well, I think we we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about I Am The Wind. All right. Ooh. Yeah. Well, oh, yes. yeah. Well, no, actually, you know, a lot of people hate on this song, and I can understand <laughs> uh, why. It's yeah, very I'm going to be one of those guys. It sounds like a Kenny G Kenny song G, or something. Yeah, yeah. But look, I like it, all right? I think it. <laughs> I think it's can, really can I just soothing. Can I just say that... Can I just say that I would rather have Christopher Cross's Ride Like the Wind instead at the end of it? I guess I don't uh, dude, I don't know what I don't know how to say like I know it's one of those things I like in spite of myself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and just so we all know this song was not written by the the same composer who did all the rest of the music for the game. This okay. I Am the Wind was was uh, somebody else's work, so hmm. it, it, that's okay. why a lot of people hate it. You know, I, I, other than the fact that it's really corny and and cheesy, but I don't know. I like it. It gets stuck in my head, and and as far as just you know, all kidding aside, the music in general, it was something kind of like what for me what like what was what Jamie was saying was that it went it, for me it went good with the game. I was kind of feeling it as I was playing the game, but like I couldn't. I was I wouldn't go back and say like oh I like this song I don't know them by name I didn't pop the CD in my CD player yeah. to listen to the music like I've listened to a couple other podcasts that covered this game and they throw some music in there and it's like oh yeah I remember that song that was really cool but it was more for me it just like was part of you know something that meshed in with the gameplay more of an yeah. overall feeling and not a specific uh, like or dislike yeah, I mean, there's yeah. some songs that really stand out to me, but I'm I'm not gonna sit here and hum them for anyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say on the uh, uh, what's it called, Call of the Wind or whatever. Um, uh, that I am I, the wind. I am the wind, right? Uh, that uh, I I sort of agree with both of you. I I like it as a song, um, but I again felt it didn't fit. Um, yeah. like it just felt really out of place and not right for Castlevania. Uh, but at the same time, it did feel like a good credit song. It did. And seemed to work for that. Yeah, I just wanted some like girl to be singing like some Japanese that I didn't understand. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I would have liked there. Yeah, know, I would have taken that. I always yeah. like that in general. Yeah. So I, I do too. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's such a bizarre thing that you know is 
as Amer- uh, as, well, I don't want to say American gamers because let's say North American gamers. Like we get that stuff at the end of game sometimes. It's just sort of beautiful and nice. We don't understand it at all, but we mm-hmm. love it and come to expect it. Yeah, it's that odd, nice. but I, especially awesome. in a Konami game. Right. True. True. I think I would have really been happy with like I don't know a remake of one of the really. Uh, well-known themes from Castlevania, like mm. either orchestrated or some really hardcore metal version of it, or something. I don't know, like uh, just a remake of some existing song. So it just feels like you've gone full circle, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that would have been better. <laughs> okay. But like I said, uh, the, the song itself isn't terrible. It's just not quite fitting. No, no. no. It was just a little, little odd yeah. choice for 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 there. Yeah, I agree. Um, so. One of the things I think we, Jamie, I think that you probably sort of, dis- you and I kind of had a little bit of back and forth about this on the forums about, and uh, Sean, I don't know if you took part in this or not, I can't remember, but we we were talking about like, you know, like the endings. Um, you know, with, with this game, there are, there are two parts to it, and, and I had to sort of let everyone know, like during the second week, I was like, okay, guys, they're we want to play the whole game. This is a playthrough. We don't want to just play half of the game. So you're going to need to like look at a playthrough or, you know, to be able to find a few things in this game to get from the, the regular castle to the inverted castle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I didn't even think about that, you know, um, before, you know, I started playing it cause I beat this game fairly quickly. And, um, you know, kind of figured that out. And I was like, Oh, I need to throw this out there really quick. So they know, and um, you, I think your opinion, and please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to miss. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But you, you're you're kind of of the opinion that had you not known, um, you might have thought that beating Richter would be the end of the game. That was had you I not thought, known there was yeah. a secondary ending. Um, but um, you know, I was kind of the opinion that they do kind of give you enough clues to sort of figure that out. And um, I think my point sure. against that is uh, that uh, the clues they give you uh, are not necessarily forced down your throat in uh, the same order sure. as I played, because uh, sure. you can uh, get those clues before doing that Richter fight, or you can mm-hmm. um, get the Richter fight quite a bit earlier. Like, uh, I, I didn't even have either of the gold or silver uh, rings, I think they were. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't have that room open below the clock. I, I didn't have any of those clues. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if I had the spike breaker uh, stuff yet at that point. Oh, so okay. I missed out on a lot of the big clues about what was going on. And so I fought Richter and it felt like uh, there wasn't really any hints uh, in my playthrough anyways uh, to say that there was more to it. It felt sure. like that could have been the end. Sure. And and I and I agreed with one of the points that was sort of brought up. You You had said, well, I've really not played Castlevania games before. Too, this is when yeah. you, this is one of your first experiences. I mean, I, I think the you know, the Castlevania character and the way the game's set up that you're going to battle Dracula, the the typical Castlevania gamer's gonna say, you know, this can't be the end. I mean, because I know I have to battle Dracula and this game A, the game would be too short. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean you could I would say someone knew what they were doing could probably get through the game in about maybe three hours or so that way, um, you know, just kind of going through um, to fight Richter. I, I know some people can do a lot quicker, um, you know, but um, I'm, I'm talking about somebody just kind of normally going through it. Um, I, I agree that the one of the rings, I, and I can't remember if it was the gold or the silver ring, that you, the one you get for uh, taking out the succubus and going through the nightmare sequence, um, 
that one's a little tough to find because it is in like sort of an outlet that is down a um, a passage that you have to fall down and you have to either have the bat or the miss to right, to make it to that. that. Um, yeah. So so yeah, it, it is a somewhat hidden. In if you you know you didn't really see that as you were falling down and didn't remember to come back to it, um, you know that would um, that would make that um, tougher and you wouldn't have that item. Um, mm. When you look at the items, the gold and the silver rings, they have inscriptions on them. And it's sort of a partial like code, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you have to look at look at the inscriptions on both of those rings and sort of put it together to know that you have to get to the clock room, and uh, you have to be wearing both of those to uh, to open something up. Yeah, um, yeah, I did get those eventually, but it just uh, wasn't until after I already fought Richter and got the bad ending. Right, right. So. Um, I, I definitely like, I definitely understand what your concern was with the game and not being able to do that. But I think that there's sort of a, and Sean, you can probably attest to this too. And, and like with other games, there's sort of a fine line and sort of like hiding stuff. And, um, you know, you don't want to hide it so much that, that people feel like, gosh, I would have never known that, you know, I can't, you know, I can't believe I, I just missed literally half of this game, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, by not knowing that and, or in the opposite way, you could hide it just enough where it, people will play it and will say, wow, that's really cool. You know, look at what I just figured out. You know, that's really cool. And I think it sort of teeters on that. This game sort of teeters on that line, you know, in, in a little in both directions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really perfect way to put it. And that's why I mentioned on the, on the forum thread that I kind of, am siding with both of you guys on this mm -hmm. uh issue is that i do feel that you could miss it especially a newcomer mm -hmm. to the series right. you know maybe doesn't know that you fight you have to fight dracula that's the thing in a castlevania game and also like i i knew about the inverted castle so i don't you know i can't go back and and not know about it and and tell you what it would be like that way but I, I i would have no idea how to have gotten to it i had to use a a guide to um you know to find both gold rings and then get the mm. holy goggles so i i that's even when you know that it exists too exactly like if, i imagine if you didn't know it existed plus that but having said that and i'm again i mentioned this on the forum thread and maybe this is maybe this is because I know Castlevania a little bit is that when I when you beat Richter there is that like nagging like eh, something wasn't right about that like yeah that that wasn't satisfying or you know that can't that can't be right something something's odd about that ending like you're gonna beat Richter who's like acting kind of weird and then you just kind of look at the castle and you know well I'm done and then just run away and I am the wind you know like it, it, it's it's like I think I just said it would be unsatisfying uh you know I would I would think I I don't know I I agree sort of but I I think uh, again really not knowing the Castlevania series uh, I didn't know who Richter was exactly and uh, I didn't uh, really know that he's always yeah. kind of the good guy. And uh, in my mind, uh, seeing that for the first time, it's like, okay, well, maybe this guy could have gone evil. I don't really know him. Yeah. I learned today that 
there's actually like a modified version of that ending where if you get the holy goggles and you can see the orb but you still kill Richter instead mm-hmm. uh, and I forget what exactly it is but you get a different kind of cutscene with Maria oh, wow. at the end it's not oh. just Alucard saying okay I'm done see ya uh, Maria is involved too and I forget exactly what it is but it's actually a, yet another version of an ending oh okay yeah. I only had three endings listed to talk about so that's yeah that's I believe there's five actually Wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah, because I know it, it would be those two. So you get the two bad endings, and then there's, I think, three good endings. Really? Um, yeah, because you, you get the one good ending is if you have over a certain completion percentage, Maria goes with you. And under okay, that's a, that's it, 196 percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yep. So you get that, and she goes with you. If you're underneath, you you know you just go, and she goes with Richter. And I forget. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure there's five. I, I can't list them all off the top of my head, but. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I had the number two there with the uh, less than 196 percent because she stayed with Richter. Yeah. Same okay. here. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I actually got the the best ending with the over 196 because. I'm an overachiever and have a little bit of a problem. Uh, if I with, had with no, if to... I had known it was 196, <laughs> I would have. I think I was like right. 180 something. I probably could right. have just pushed a little bit further and got it, but I didn't actually. Absolutely. I didn't even know about that, so I just you know wrapped it up and I was fine with the ending I got. I, yeah, it made too. sense yeah, to me. Good. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, think... and it's not that much difference of an ending, except that she goes with you or she stays behind. You know, it's right. not. Mm. You know, it doesn't change anything that much. So. Yeah, the the ending cutscene, even between the bad ending and then the good ending, it's not really hugely different. Like, like the major part with the castle evaporating into the sky is the same. It's just the dialogue at the end is different. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Everything somewhat pretty much happens the same. Yeah. And and, and that brings you to a point too. And and one of the things, um, you know, before I had sort of let that out on the forums about how you need to do something before you get to the other castle. I, I got a, I got a message uh, from Sean. I was like, well, well, I've already done it. I'm done with this game. <laughs> and then of course yeah. and then of course he had to go back and play it and uh you know yeah, make I was it to being facetious. <laughs> so uh but but that's that's cool that you know you can do that from save points and sort of check in and you know you can check out all the endings if you want to you know if you if you sort of know in advance what you need to do to get each ending you know you can sort of go through the game and check them all out so that's yeah, cool. I think it's I think it's almost kind of important to do that really. I would encourage anybody who's playing this game to go experience the the bad or the false ending or however you want to put it because mm-hmm. it 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 puts into context, you know, parts of the story that you're going to unveil by doing the real ending. And yeah. you know, it's I think really I think bad, you should ex- just experience it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, speaking about the ending, let's talk about the Dracula ending a little bit. Uh, what did you guys think about that ending? Was it was it satisfying? Was it was it hokey? Uh, I mean, I I think it kind of bordered a little of each. Yeah, it's a little bit cheesy, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it was neat to see uh, Dracula sort of apologizing at the very end and almost atoning for what he's done. It, it, it is, is it odd that he's reading Bible scripture? That's very odd, yeah. <laughs> Matthew so-and-so, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that felt a little bit tacked on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's sort of a bizarre ending, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, but then the, really the rest of the game is very uh, Christian overtones throughout the whole thing, so it's sort yeah. of hard to complain. 
It's like all you guys had to do was sit down and have a conversation about yeah. what your mom said before she died. <laughs> this would have never happened, you know. <laughs> it's 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 one of those, you know, just tragic. Just just a, it it almost ends up being sort of a Shakespearean tragedy at the end, if you will, right? Mm. Uh, you know, you've killed your father because of your edible complex. And All right, mother I'm, was I'm reaching. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought the ending was um, fairly satisfying. It wasn't as probably as long and drawn out as I would like for a game to be. Um, you know, I, I like, you know, a little more drawn out, fantastic endings. Mm. Um, and it, it seemed a little short for as much time as I had put into the game. But, you know, I, I still felt satisfied. I, I think that... The overall gameplay and um, just just all the positives that this game brought were enough to make me really not care about the ending, if yeah. that makes sense. The story is really not the focus of this game. This is really a gameplay kind of game right. to me anyways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, do you guys have any final thoughts or anything on this game? Anything you'd like to talk about? Sort of uh, wrap it up here. Just had two last, uh, fairly short notes. Um, uh, one is just uh, a funny thing about one of the enemies uh, that I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, the bone arcs, uh, which are the enemies who carried those kind yes. of platforms for the uh, skull, uh, like Tyrannosaurus things on them. Uh, you kill the Tyrannosaurus, and uh, then the bone arcs, uh, they run around with this hilarious animation of their arms waving in the air and... <laughs> I don't know if you guys got that, but I just yeah, I love that. That was, that was really funny. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> they sort of just run off screen as well. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was funny. But like, so many of the enemies are menacing and out mm -hmm. to kill you, and then these ones just run off screaming. Yeah, I, yeah, I like it, the guys in the library with, that you kill, and they're um, I can't remember what they're called. I think it starts with a D or something. You kill them, and their head just rolls around on the floor, just kind of bounces yeah, around. The skull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually thought that a lot of these skeleton-based enemies had like a cute kind of look to them, not like like you're saying, not menacing or scary. They almost mm. look like like cute is the only word I can think of. Like their faces look like little cartoony, almost like um, a little bit, yeah. Uh, like the the French character from the Beetlejuice cartoon series. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. that, but um. You know, just more funny than it is scary. I would I would say that for like a, a lot of the game, like aesthetically, it it was sort of like, you know, other than a few things, like I think the Beelzebub boss was really creepy, like the oh yeah, the body you know hung up on the hooks. But for the majority of the game, I mean, this was definitely a game that I, I you know I played around my kids, my 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 wife like ten years ago. She's not a gamer, and she would be like, "Are you gonna play that game tonight? I, just, I, I love watching you play it," you know. You know, yeah, and, and that, that says a lot, a lot of about this candy. game. Yeah, and, and it's, it, like you said, it's sort of like silly, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, and there's nothing like, I don't think there's anything like super menacing about anything in, in this game. Well, I mean, a, a few things, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I mentioned was, one, but, but yeah. yeah, yeah, a few things, but, but as a whole, not not really. No. I mean, it's just pretty tame. And then the last uh, thing I want to mention is uh, something that was a bit of an ongoing debate on the topic. Uh, the voice acting is oh, so yeah. bad. I don't know what you guys thought about it, but <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, like some of the things, I think there was one uh, line from Alucard near the end where he was talking about good and evil or something. And the whole time I yeah. was just thinking about that uh, line from Spaceballs with Dark uh, Helmet or whatever. And he's like, uh, uh, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just was totally expecting it to be something like that because of the way he was saying it. Oh, man. Sean, did you have anything about this game that you wanted to talk about or sort of to wrap it up? No, we covered everything that was in my notes. Um, just want to reiterate again, glad to play this uh, classic Konami PS1 game. You know, I, I put in my notes, is it the ultimate cult classic amongst video games? I mean, we've been hitting a lot of them with, with Eco and Shadow and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Su- Suikodens. And I, I always mention Parasite Eve because I had such a good time with that game. But again... Right. We're just mm-hmm. we're just nailing all these cult classics. It's awesome. We're gonna have a hard time picking a favorite at the end of the year. Yeah, oh, right, gosh. right. It's gonna it's gonna be tough, and, <laughs> and and that's something that you guys are alluding to. So I'll go ahead and like fill our listeners in on that really quick. I, I think what we're um, sort of a plan for December, and we haven't kind of mentioned this yet, but I think we're gonna maybe kind of go back over our year and see you know what everyone's favorite games were throughout the year on the uh, the yeah. retro and modern side to do a little bit of a retrospective because uh you know of course we're playing shmups and december and you know we'll, we'll talk about those for a little while but you know yeah. shooty shoots for, for you the know most part, i mean there's not much you're to blowing stuff them. up man there's not a lot to talk about so <laughs> yeah. uh, so we'll do that but um yeah guys well well thanks for joining us um uh, all you listeners out there, and um, Jamie, Sean, enjoyed it as usual. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. And uh, just want to just kind of fill in our listeners, let you know that um, uh, in November, I know we've sort of marked the calendar for the rest of the year, and you know what we'll be playing, but just a reminder that in November, uh, on the retro side, we're going to be playing Super Metroid. Uh, going to be a lot of fun. Jamie's going to be hosting that, and uh, the rest of us will be struggling through it. From what I understand, is a very tough game but i think it's a a I'll good segue <laughs> we'll <see. laughs> yeah we'll all struggle together yeah but but i think it's a good segue that we're going from a castlevania symphony of the night um metroidvania game to a metroid game so yeah. you know that, i didn't that's realize be just cool. how metroid like this castlevania game was so it's gonna be interesting yeah we could we could say we planned it that way but <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't we? yeah we'll, no, we we'll say that yeah yeah so we we had a we had a lot of um we had a lot of our community saying that they really wanted to play Super Metroid. So, uh, as we do often, we uh, we are going to oblige next month. So, again, thanks everyone for listening. Still in the stillness of wonder, still in its misty crown. The moon she went down to the lake, and in the waves she drowned. And now to see your love set free. Okay, over on the modern side for our October 2014 community playthrough, we played an Xbox 360 exclusive classic game, Alan Wake from Remedy Entertainment. Now, returning to the show to discuss Alan Wake with us is our friend Steven, better known on the forums as Disposed Hero. Say hello, Steven. Hey, how's it going, guys? Nice to have you back. 
So I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Floyd, who chose this game, who is a huge fan of this game and has played through it many times. He's going to tell us a little bit about Alan Wake. Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, was I was really hyped for this game when it was announced uh, sort of back in uh, 2009. came out 2010. Um, I'm really into that sort of like Twin Peaks and Lost type of... Uh, type of narratives where there's no overt scares it's more like something where your imagination can let uh can go run wild and and kind of creep you out that way um so yeah alan wake released by uh remedy entertainment is a really atmospheric and dark game very much influenced by um twin peaks as i said before and the stephen king style of writing uh it was released in a uh, on a disc, but on an episodic format, and really, because Remedy wanted to go for that TV show type uh, type vibe, and um, I, I think it worked really well for the game. Um, what uh, what did you guys think of uh, the episodic nature of of everything? I liked it. It um, kind of helped segment the game into nice chunks. Yeah, it gives you a nice recap at the end of. Uh at the beginning of each episode to give you a recap of the previous episodes. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that too. And um, I, I think uh, the guys over at Remedy are really explicit when, like, they, they'll, they'll openly say that they're influenced uh, by, by the TV style of storytelling. But yeah, no, I think it also works um, in, in the favor of the game because it makes it seem more, more pop, pop culture-y, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. I actually liked it too because it, it. I like games that are cut up into chapters or levels or segments or episodes or whatever you want to call it. Just just for that like organized organized part of my brain, it it will a lot of times give you a good spot to save and quit and come back at a different time. And it and it's cool that it gives you those little recaps and and you know last time on Alan oh, Wake yeah. kind of thing. Uh, like that's that's just really neat, mm-hmm. a cool touch. Because no, like with a, with a lot of games, um, like that aren't broken up like that, it's it can just sort of get the ball rolling, and you don't want to stop. And I guess it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, I've always said that too much of a good thing is never good. Um, but no, the the way the chapters conclude and kind of bookend, and a lot of them end on on uh, cliffhangers is is really. Um, like really keeps you going, really keeps you sucked in. Right. What did you guys think of um, of the atmosphere? Yeah, the atmosphere is really, really great. Um, it's just always dark and has a very spooky atmosphere. Um, all kinds of just weird things going on. Uh, it, yeah, really creates a nice atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it even taps into a little bit of a just like um i don't know how to put it it's like a childhood fear of the unknown fear of the dark um because that's sort of like a textbook phobia is just being lost in a forest at night and then you hear like the wind blowing through the trees and and like just you know the the world making the noises that it does um and everything kind of has you going on the edge of your seat so I, i think uh you know they definitely uh scored well for for atmosphere um and it kind of had that uh twin peaks type thing going on where you know there's something um 
something wrong with uh, mm-hmm. with the town and and the people who live there and and the people know but they kind of brush it under the rug and and they just say oh yeah we we live here and and weird stuff happens and that's just that's just how life is in in bright falls um yeah i think like as i was playing i'm thinking oh this is right out of twin peaks i mean we have uh the lamp lady who is a really overt reference to um twin peaks's log lady and uh yeah, right. all, all the all the coffee references yeah it's it's definitely got that uh, Pacific Northwest kind of feel to the whole, uh, you know, the characters and the environments and the, well, the setting more than the environments themselves. But yeah, it's definitely uh, a, a tribute to that kind of culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So Floyd, uh, we're going to have just a brief overview of the story. Um, uh, you know, Alan Wake, it's a, it's a story about a, a writer uh, in the vein of Stephen King, you know, like you said earlier, very much inspired by Stephen King. He's got a little bit of writer's block going on, hasn't put out a good novel for a number of years. So his wife has a little bit of an idea for him. And what is that? Right. Yeah. So uh, um, Alice has brought her husband to um, the city of Bright Falls so that he can essentially unwind and write, but so he could also uh, receive some help from renowned um, artist, psychologist, Dr. Hartman, who, who deals with basically creative types who have lost their touch with reality and uh, who find that their life is imitating their art. And you know, I, I think that's a very big theme within this game, um, because as you play, you'll find these manuscript pages, and they eventually, or they, they do um, depict events that will be coming up very soon. So it kind of does have that uh, issue of um, life imitating art, and in this case, in, in the really dark, um, evil sense. And that's really ambitious for, for a game to try. It's difficult to pull off um, in the sense that like your narrator is not 100% reliable because their sanity is in question, right? Right, so you're... Oh, go ahead, Stephen. Uh, no, that wasn't me. I, I'm just, oh, I'm just yeah. going to sort of ruminate <laughs> on, on something. Yeah, and um, so as uh, Dr. Hartman says, Alan's wife has died and he's created this fictional delusion in his mind that she's been kidnapped by at first um, this weird guy who wants the manuscript pages for reasons that aren't known to you and aren't known to uh, to Alan and then Alan starts saying that uh, Alice has been kidnapped by by the dark presence and he he creates these characters who like they may or may not be real. Like there's Cynthia Weaver, who is the wife of uh, Thomas Zane, and Thomas Zane was a famous writer from the 70s who who lived on uh, Cauldron Lake. Just to correct you, Cynthia Weaver wasn't the oh, wife that's of right. Zane. You're right. That yeah, was, that's the that, lamp that's lady. The, <laughs> that was that Barbara, Barbara Dragger, who was the wife. Yeah, um, yeah. See, they 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 threw too many characters in there for me. But I think the uh, the main idea here is that you're you're dealing with a character who you as the player are wondering 
what is real and what isn't. And you're dealing with a character who is struggling with his own sanity. And there are games that try to do this, but they put, they tend to put the player in a confusing spot as a mechanism of questioning that sanity. And I'm thinking of like eternal Yeah, that's what I was thinking of too. Like instead of using techniques that would break the fourth wall to play with with your sanity, I guess, and, and the character's sanity, they just make everything really murky and and ambiguous, right? Exactly. And and it's more questionable from a dramatic standpoint than it is like messing with the screen or blur you know, blurring the screen or having weird sound mm-hmm. effects. And there's some of that stuff, but really what you're you're wondering is is Alan Wake losing it? That's that's basically what what's going on, you know, at, from the player to the player character relationship. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's that, that's what's going that, on. That's there. a good point because I mean, as um, Alan gets more more desperate in his uh, search to retrieve his wife, you kind of get more invested in him too. Right. So unless either one of you guys wants to go deeper into the story, there's there's a lot to it, and you know, we're, we're having trouble just kind of explaining the story, but. Uh, I think that we could probably transition into something else, maybe getting a little bit deeper into the cultural references that are uh, present in the game. I know Steven wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, Yeah, sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, tell us about that. It's just um, some pretty overt references to um, Twin Peaks, I think being the most obvious um, the whole the whole town itself is obviously a big uh, reference to Twin Peaks. Um, it's very reminiscent of the uh, of Twin Peaks. Um, you have characters that will remind you of characters from the show, um, like, like we I think we mentioned before about the uh, log lady and the lamp lady being sort of a a reference. Um, coffee thermoses littered about town. Uh, um, I think I think even the diner itself uh, was very reminiscent of the diner mm-hmm. from Twin Peaks. You even have uh, the FBI uh, agent uh, Nightingale, who's right, uh, he, right. he's got uh, like his Twin Peaks parallel too. They have that brash FBI guy, not uh, not Agent Cooper, but there, there's some guy who's who's sent in to uh, um, you know fix Cooper. And then there's a. Uh, Quite a few references to Max Payne as well, um, seeing that this game was made, uh, both games, Alan Wake and the Max Payne 1 and 2, were made by uh, Remedy Entertainment. I think uh, Alan's um, novels, uh, were, uh, the character Alex Casey from his previous novels, is actually essentially Max Payne. Um, if you read, I think it's at the beginning of episode 2, if you read the uh, one of the manuscript pages it's in this flashback um, part of the episode where Alan's in his apartment um, you can read a manuscript page from the novel that he's currently writing and uh, it's voiced by the voice actor of Max Payne and it's essentially the plot of Max Payne is what you're reading um, you also see uh, Sam Lake makes an appearance oh, yeah, that was, on a talk that was show neat. Um, going back to Max Payne yeah. um, I actually have not played any of the Max Paynes except for the for the Rockstar um, Max Payne 3. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, when one studio has various titles under their belt, there's going to be comparisons. So do you think Alan Wake stands up to uh, to Max Payne? Because I know Max Payne is a very much 
fan beloved game yeah definitely and and first of all floyd i would recommend that you go back and play max Payne one and two um even just two if you don't want to invest a lot of time because two is a really short game but you'll get that kind of experience by playing them but i i look at it much in the way like when we discussed um Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, they're, they're games that complement each other. And I wouldn't say like, oh, Alan Wake is just like way better than Max Payne. Like it's, it's a totally different thing, but they draw like, whereas Max Payne is like a crime noir, like hard boiled, grizzled detective story. Um, and Alan Wake is more of a supernatural Twilight Zone-y spooky horror story. A lot of the gameplay elements are the same. A, a lot of, again, that level of immersion that I was talking about, um, those are the same throughout, you know, all the games. And just just you, you'll you be familiar with the controls, how the character moves, how the aiming and shooting kind of works. If you've played a Max Payne game, you'll be comfortable jumping into Alan Wake from that perspective. So, yeah, they're... they're they're comparable, but not in a way that, like, you know, oh, like, Remedy's outdone themselves with, with this. Like, you know, Max, it leaves Max right. Payne yeah, in you the can't, dust. Uh, Forget you about can't that. Like, say one is better than the other, but you can see how, they, um, how they're related to each other. Yeah, and, and um, I think just sort of um, reading reviews of both games and, um, you know, looking at uh, both games in action, like... Um, you can see how um, Alan Wake has improved on some of the uh, mechanic ideas from Max Payne. They sort of took what they learned from that game and applied it to Alan Wake. Steven, did you have anything else to add about the uh, the cultural references? Um, some um, Stephen yeah. King stuff, probably. Yeah, there's a lot of references to horror writers. There's there are a ton of references in Alan Wake just to all sorts of different writers, TV shows, movies. Um, there are some nods to you know The Shining in there. Um, Heavy metal music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, but we couldn't we couldn't list them all uh, in this podcast. So uh, I I think the main things I I thought were worth talking about were Twin Peaks and Max Payne. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now you mentioned. Um as one of the Twin Peaks references, you mentioned the collectible thermoses, and that is something amongst other things like the manuscript pages that adds a little bit of a replay value to this game because you can, um, you know, there's a lot of collectibles in this game. So if I, I know you wanted to touch on that. So if you want to elaborate on the, uh, the systems with the collectibles in the game. The yeah, there's uh throughout the game you can find these manuscript pages which are supposed to be um, the novel that Alan was working on while he was, I guess, during during this week long period that he has no recollection of. Um, they're just scattered all throughout the environment. Um, they sort of serve as a premonition most of the time to things that are going to happen. Um, for example, there's. I know there's one you find, I believe in episode one, that Wake says he uh, makes it to his destination and then, you know, he's all relieved and then he hears the sound of a chainsaw. So you're just like, you're just thinking, oh crap, there's going to be a guy with a chainsaw coming after me later. And there's, you know, quite a few moments like that where you 
get these very ominous premonitions of what's going to happen. Now, now, when you guys were playing the game, did you um, did you go in and, and listen to or read all of the manuscript pages? Or does it... Because for me, it kind of wore me out after a while. I stopped looking at them because there's so many. Mm, yeah, there there is a lot. Um, and, you know, I have to confess that during my initial playthrough, I was you know, heavily, heavily invested in this game and, uh, you know. I thought you were going to say intoxicated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, when you you get that moonshine at the Andersons, right? (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah, and I I think during my first playthrough, um, because I was super hyped for this game, Um, I, I, I tried to explore every nook and cranny that that, uh, that it offered and you know I, I really went out of my way to look for these uh, manuscript pages because they really fleshed out uh, out the world but because this was I think my third time playing this game and now I kind of I knew what was coming um, I knew uh, what was sort of like going on with the manuscript pages roughly so even though I collected them I didn't really open them to read them so i like i guess i kind of hurt my own experience with the game but at the same time i don't feel bad yeah and i i actually forgot but like looking back you know looking back into this game and just playing it briefly this morning i forgot it is is so talky for lack of a better word like and it's well written again like you know i my hat's off to sam lake for what he does in video games but it's just freaking droning on and on and on with this like uh you know alan wake's narration and it just like you really got to be in the mood for it and to actually have to go into a menu and you know let him read more of it to you you gotta you gotta be willing to deal Mm -hmm. with that it's it's really heavy in in that sense and like it's not that that's bad i mean like i think it actually works for the game because it kind of does pull from that film noir style with that you know um, with that really gruff, um, in 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 various ways, gruff uh, protagonist, and um, you know how they, they give those monologues that give you some insight into the character themselves or the world. Um, but yeah, it it does kind of wear out its welcome after a while, and and you kind of just you just want to get on with the game. Yeah, I actually um, this is the first time I played the game since it. Uh, first came out so it's been probably a little over four years and I didn't really remember much of anything so um, I was really seeking out the manuscript pages during this playthrough and I, I would listen to them and read them and uh, I didn't find them all but I, I think I found a, a good number of them uh, but yeah I always uh, enjoyed listening to them that's cool that's 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 good to hear that kind of perspective because like I said I I was a little bit like I remember my first playthrough going I'm not a completionist or like I'm not into collectibles but I remember like trying to get them and stopping and listening to them but then I like when you start the game even in the nightmare sequence you already have a bunch and I started listening to them and I was like oh no I'm not doing that definitely this um and, and like maybe this does hurt its replay value like if if you're replaying it just for the collectibles and you know for the achievements that's fine but if you're playing it to um get the story you're kind of just speed running this whole thing 
Yeah, you know what? And I'm trying to, I'm kind of catching myself right now because we're kind of beating up on a game that has like really good writing, really good voice acting, you know what I mean? A really good fiction. So it's, it's, it's weird to complain about like, oh, you got to collect these manuscripts. Like it's a really cool thing in the game. And I don't know. I don't know why I'm ragging yeah, on it so yeah, much. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I have <laughs> like to agree really with you cool because thing. I don't dislike it either. <laughs> um, and it's just one of those things that, um, when you really want to understand the world and you want to understand what's going on inside Alan's head, it definitely helps. Right? Like these manuscript pages do give you some insight into what's going on. Right. It's almost like. Um like the codex in a Mass Effect game right, or yeah. something, how only it's even more involved with the actual plot. It's not just some encyclopedia entry. It's actually integral to mm-hmm. the main story, and, and it's a, a question of how deep do you want to go into it and how far down the rabbit hole as far as figuring out, you know, Alan Wake's psyche, you know, like I was talking about earlier, do you want to go into right, by doing and, and, that? And I think you're definitely hurting your experience by not listening to those manuscript uh, monologues because the a huge chunk of this game is just get from point a to point b in um in the middle of the night and you know that's really like simple so it's good that those manuscripts are there because it gives you something to um experience a world that remedy has created and it's a really interesting um just dark and and like creepy world that they've created and it's only in the manuscript pages do you guys want to talk about the dlc episodes i know not all not all three of us played all of them floyd you played all of them i played through through the first uh dlc episode you know like i i thought it was a good continuation to the story um because the the main game does end on that cliffhanger and you know that okay mr scratch who is um alan's doppelganger is is out on uh is out on on the surface of the world and alan is is kept within the dark place and you're wondering like how's he going to get out what's uh what's the conclusion to his story and i think they they kind of expand on that in in the uh dlcs um more so in uh, American Nightmare, I think the the two main game DLCs, uh, the Writer and the Signal, they're more about uh, Tom Zane and sort of giving him some backstory, which, like at the same time, gives more of Alan a story too. Right now, you were saying in the forum that you re- you didn't like American Nightmare. No, right? I I actually didn't, and it's not because American Nightmare is bad. It's actually quite good i mean like it's it's a graphical improvement from the main game uh it, it plays a lot more smoothly but it, it it has that like deja vu type thing going on where you do the same thing like three or four times to to complete um the uh the scenario because what it is that alan wakes up in what could quite possibly be the episode of night springs that he wrote and um, he meets some characters along the way, finds some manuscript pages, and then kind of wakes up again and, and does it again. Um, and that all 
culminates to uh, a battle with the with Mr. Scratch, and um, he gets Alice back. Now, I, I I gotta say, I played American Nightmare, and I I am with you on the reasons you don't like it, and I was at a point. I want to say halfway or maybe even a little bit more than halfway through it where I said like this is this is ridiculous going through this over and over again but something happened and and I hit a turning point where I was like with it and then by the time it concluded it wrapped up and you know it, it kind of wrapped up the whole story mm-hmm. um, I was really satisfied with it and it made it worthwhile I, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend doing this kind of structure for a game or for a DLC where you're doing the same thing over and over again. But in the end, it worked for me, uh, I guess, in a way that it maybe didn't for you. So it's kind of interesting. I, di- I didn't play the ri- uh, the writer or the signal. I only played American oh, okay. Nightmare. So, um, Stephen, did you uh, play any of the DLC and uh, any thoughts played- on it? I played very little of the signal, um, not not really enough to say much about it. But uh, yeah, I didn't, didn't really play much of the DLC episodes. I think there was some uh, some criticism on the forum saying that uh, there's a bit too much platforming incorporated into it. Oh wow! Okay. And yeah, like just sort of trying to remember back to uh, to the DLC that I did play. Um, like it wasn't that bad like it didn't it wasn't a deal breaker for me um because I, I quite liked the character of thomas zane and it was it was really really exciting to go and uh explore him a little bit more but anyway to each his own cool all right um either one of you guys have any other topics or uh general feelings you want to hit on before we start wrapping it up um, I don't know if you guys. I kind of looked into some theories about what the entire, about what the story is. I don't know if you guys want to touch on any of those. I don't know if you guys may not be familiar with it. Sure, man. Let's give it a try. See if something uh, sparks a good conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, I read a few uh, theories about the uh, about the ending of the game, uh, about what uh, what it means because it's a little confusing. Kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Um, one that I read was that. Throughout the entirety of the game, at least after um, the part where Alan blacks out and wakes up again, wait, I, you're actually I'm sorry, actually I a, dude. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. Can you can you just explain what the ending is? I mean, you know, I know it's going to be spoilery, but you know, that's what, what that's what this podcast is. Oh, sure. Just say what actually yeah. happens in the game. You know, at yeah. the end of the game. So at the end of the game, um, Alan returns to the cabin with the uh the clicker which is um it's an object that thomas zane leaves for alan um he finds the dark presence in the form of barbara jagger in the cabin and he um uses the clicker to destroy it um but so um but alice isn't uh returned uh, she's still in the the dark place or whatever it's called i think what happens is alan uh, essentially sacrifices himself to the uh, dark presence. He um, he sort of rewinds time, um, I believe, by rewriting this part of the story that he originally wrote. Um, he's back to the part where he first um, walks into the cabin and notices that Alice is missing, and he dives into the lake 
and then later you see Alice uh, crawl out of the lake. Um, so Al- Alan is still trapped in the cabin under beneath the lake, and uh, yeah, he essentially sacrificed. Well, if I remember himself. correctly, um, towards the end of the game, Alan realizes that um, Barbara is manipulating his writing, and he finds a way to um, sort of turn the tables and and very subtly write the ending that he wants, which is essentially um, that Alice is saved, even if it's at his expense, right? Right. um, He he notes somewhere that, like, when Zane originally wrote his his story, he made it this you know, perfect happy ending which didn't work and there wasn't a balance there So, and Wake realized this so that's why he sacrifices himself to save Alice mm-hmm. I think like even even though that's uh, that's kind of uh, um, cloudy and you know I, I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners are, are not going to quite make sense of, of that ending um yeah, this game is kind of hard to talk about. It's it's one that you really have to experience for yourself. And, um, like, really, if you are going to talk about it, it's, it's best if this game is fresh in your mind. But I think that does do enough justice of the conclusion to sort of jump into some theories. Yeah, def- I was going to say, let's uh, let's hear what, what was the, uh, the alternate theories uh, that you were going to talk about, Stephen. So one theory that I've read about is um, the entire time that you're playing the game um, from the point that Alan wakes up in the car crash you're actually playing as Mr. Scratch um, which is Alan's uh, sort of avatar for the real world while he's trapped in the darkness Um, Mr. Scratch is acting out these events as Alan is is writing them um, while he's trapped in the cabin writing his manuscript yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that, and, and I can so, see how yeah. that works. Um, and and I, I think there's even some, um, like, evidence for that. Uh, you know, Mr. Scratch has uh, has the bandage over his eye, and, and uh, in the, throughout the course of the game, Alan has that bandage over his eye. And, like, right, one, yeah. once again, uh, Mr. Scratch was created to create that balance so like if there's an alan in the dark place there has to be an alan in the real world cool all right yeah i know i'm like yeah i mean this this game is so um it's so weird and and i think that's why many people like it's like it doesn't quite make sense but you can put some pieces of evidence together and um make it make sense for you which like that's totally cool um i think just the fact that you know remedy went so far as to create a whole world and uh mythology for this game um like right around the time of release or or, uh you know not too long after there was a a mini series called uh bright falls and that was all about uh, a journalist who comes to the town of bright falls looking for alan wake to conduct an interview with him and uh, did you did you guys check out that? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's it's all released on uh, on YouTube now, and um, I definitely recommend uh, any fan of the game check that out because it kind of it goes into the weird stuff that's going on in the town. 
Yeah, and 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 it also deals with uh, with like the town's fascination with uh, with deers and stuff and. And now that that's the one that you can actually watch in game. That's like live action, right? No, no, no. That that was um, the the in game one was was night night springs, and that was uh, that was basically like their little take on uh, on Twilight Zone. But the but wasn't there also another? Wasn't there also one in game that was like an interview show with with Alan himself as as his live action actor? Or am I just remembering it wrong? I. I can't remember. I mean, unless it was unless unless it was one of the TVs that I did miss, because I'm I'm pretty sure I didn't get all of them, or or one of the radio shows. But yeah, the, you you could be right. Um, now also, um, there was I'd say about a year or two years after Alan Wake came out, this blog appeared online called This House of Dreams, and a lot of people were speculating that. This is Sam Lake writing this blog, and um, and it's all hinting at Alan Wake 2. And it's all about this woman who buys um, a cottage and in this really, like once again, it's in, a, in an idyllic rural spot. And she comes across this shoebox with uh, photographs and poems, and, and I think you're led to believe that this is Thomas Zane's stuff. And uh, well, yeah, if you guys didn't check this out, I, I really recommend you look into this too. It's called This House of Dreams, um, and he, oh, it does a really good job of uh, creating some hype for for the Alan Wake two that we never got. Right, because Remedy is working on uh, Quantum Break, which looks great, and they're taking their mechanics to an even further level with doing some time traveling stuff, and it looks really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna again be a Microsoft exclusive. So I don't have any. Of the, I don't have either one of the new consoles yet. I know Steven has both now, so he can play Quantum Break. But I wasn't planning on getting an Xbox 360 or uh, yeah, uh, or an Xbox One. But uh, I might be enticed by Quantum Break. We'll have to see. Yeah, that was one of the one of the big ones for me that influenced my decision to. Yeah, definitely. Um, the announcement of Quantum Break got me uh, got me interested in uh, in the one. Um, but it's it's funny that we're talking now about um, uh, Remedy games that are, are influencing people to buy um, consoles because it was actually Alan Wake that really made me want to buy a 360. Well, that's pretty cool, man. There you go. So it's coming back it's around. Coming full circle here. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I guess that. With that, we can kind of wrap it up. Um, it's It's been nice talking to you guys about this awesome game. It's a really cool cult classic. And, you know, like I said, we're all huge fans of Remedy here. Floyd, you got to go back and play the first two Max Paynes. And uh, maybe someday we'll be back on this show talking about Quantum Break. So, uh, Stephen, thank you uh, for joining the show again. It's been a pleasure talking to you. No problem. Thanks for having me. And Floyd, as usual, thanks for choosing an excellent game and hosting a very good playthrough of Alan Wake. Yeah, you know, it was, it was good to revisit this and, uh, you know, see if it held up to my expectations and, and my memories of it. And yeah, as always, it was great talking with you guys.
Cool. So join us again next month uh, for the November Modern Playthrough. Uh, we're going to play System Shock 2 on the PC. Hope to see you then. Well, that's the show, folks. Thank you for listening, and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs and to our special guest, Disposed Hero, for returning to the show. Remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs, discuss the games, or leave feedback on this podcast. Join us next month in our playthroughs for November 2014, in which I will be hosting System Shock 2 for the PC, and Jamie will be hosting Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap-Up.